raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Pacers can take the lead. One minute gone, fourth quarter. Four-court right edge. Nemhart out to the left edge. Matherin wants three, but doesn't get it. McConnell, the smallest man on the floor, snuck in there and tipped it in. High screen Lopez. Lillard uses it to drive in, but he missed off the back of the rim, and Isaiah Jackson got it to Halliburton. Long pass to the other end. Gliding through the air with the greatest of ease. Toppin caught it at the rim and reverse jammed it. Halliburton had has it, Turner screens, Halliburton drives it, got to the foul line, backed it up, holding the dribble, Lopez switches out, Halliburton on the move, in the lane, at the goal, and he laid it in with a spin, Masterful. an offensive rebound with under a minute to go, five point lead, Halliburton driving to his left, stabs back, splash, 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 she erupts, coming off the floor as one to embrace Tyrese Halliburton. Mark Boyle, as heard last night here on The Fan on the Pacers radio network, Indiana is now in the finals of the in-season tournament. Taking on the Los Angeles Lakers tomorrow night, and the dream run continues. And my buddy, Kevin the Mechanic, sent me the following text, and this is true, let it be heard from... Hamilton County to Johnson County. I don't know that our signal actually goes that far. But nonetheless, let it be heard all around the greatest, the greater Indianapolis metropolitan area. Dude, says Kevin. Last night I was at a bar and you would have thought it was a game seven in the playoffs. Totally awesome. Awesome atmosphere. Have a great day. It was awesome. And I've got on my old school Pacers sweatshirt today. Jimmy Cook's got on his weird odds indie thing but it's working because it's the in-season tournament so that the indie pacers fine we'll roll with it bottom line pacers lakers tomorrow night and what a run because of the teams that they have beaten and 500 grand per player on the line and jimmy cook the bottom line is indiana is looking like a team that yes in fact they are bought in to the in-season tournament and it's been fun to watch there's one thing i was wrong about going into Last night's tilt or yesterday afternoon's tilt, however you want to place it. A lot of us picked the Pacers to win. I did to take it outright, but I thought they would have to do it by having a near perfect night from beyond the arc. And we had a conversation with Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports yesterday, and he had told me that, well, that's not necessarily the end of the world. He had said near 30%, and I said, no, they got to be north of 40 but as long as they keep single-digit turnovers, that was more important for him. They only have nine turnovers in that game. I think only three in the first half. So, yeah, I got a little bit squirrely there in the third. But the biggest takeaway for me, Jake, is the resolve after an avalanche in the third quarter by Milwaukee. Because we've mentioned in order to get the NBA Cup, the way this bracket was built out for the Pacers, you're going to have to knock off the two best teams in the Eastern Conference and potentially one of your biggest foes of the last 15 years, which we now know is the case in LeBron James in a different uniform this time in L.A. And for them to get up off the mat after Damian Lillard woke up, after the Bucks opened the third quarter with a 9-0 run, 
and them to outscore them and only let up 25 points in the fourth quarter, aside from like play-by-play, which I know we'll get into, like the little mini runs they had and different moments in that fourth quarter, but for them to get up once again after a massive haymaker from Milwaukee, from their stars, something that you're going to have to overcome when we get into April and maybe into May, depending on where the cap is on this team. For them to show that yesterday and not only show it, but close out, sensational performance all the way around. Yesterday when we had Lynn Dunn on, and I, I realized that she was being, you know, Lynn Dunn is just oozes positivity, right? I mean, she's always upbeat and just a super nice woman. So there was a little of that sportsmanship in play when she was on with us. But when I was talking about Aaron Neesmith and she's like, that sounds like a coach speak because that's correct, which wasn't some out of left field observation. But what I was saying to Lynn Dunn in talking about that, it was in talking about the Boston game. Aaron Neesmith, who is like probably your number four, well, he's not even, the number, you know, what is he, probably your sixth guy. But to win big games, you need at times your five, six, and seven guys to play like they know they're the one, two, and three guys. And that's exactly what he did in that game. The true measure of a team, and I think that Indiana is starting to round itself out now as showing that its versatility and its depth is amongst the best teams in the NBA. You you knew you were going to get a great game from Tyrese Halliburton. You knew that it's always capable that Miles Turner is going to have that kind of a night, but 26-10, and 10, huge for Miles Turner. Huge. But the moments in the game of, holy cow, here comes Rocky and he just – comes out of the corner and we thought he was dead but but look at this right here and he just keeps TJ McConnell is spearheading that kind of stuff Isaiah Jackson who I I don't remember the minutes he got against Boston if any but he comes in against Milwaukee and only you know comes in and gives you 16 minutes but quality minutes right off the bench quality minutes Andrew Nemhard, when Boston or excuse me, when Milwaukee goes zone and you're trying to figure things out offensively, how many shots either at the free throw line or in the paint jumpers was he able to get because of just situational disciplined basketball? I mean, the way they were able to outscore them off the bench and not necessarily need to do it at a high volume, but do it in a timely manner was critical in their response after that third quarter. You know, the the Pacers have one thing going for them that I think was on full display last night. And maybe they were jumping up off the bench and celebrating because they knew that the New England Patriots were about to give their city brethren, the Colts, a huge assist last night, right? Which we'll get into. And the Pittsburgh Steelers now all of a sudden are like in a must-win situation when they come to Indy, possibly with Mitchell Trubisky. Maybe that's what the Pacers were so celebratory about. But I have mentioned this before, and by the way, good afternoon to you. My name is Jake Quarry. That is Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison here as well. It is Quarry and Company on this Victory Friday. We're decked out in blue and gold. Deck the halls with blue and gold because the Pacers are in the in-season tournament finals. Um, I have mentioned this before, but I'm going to go back to it. If you want to, if you have kids, boy or girl, and they're playing youth sports, or they're playing school sports, even summer, travel baseball, whatever it might be. 
most of us, not all, most of us played in sports and few of us were the best player on our team. Jimmy, what sport was your favorite sport play as a kid growing up? Basketball. How good were you? I could hit some threes and I hustled. I was not not the best player. What's on my the team. last level that you played? Uh, I played rec, basically CYO for high schoolers all through my high school career. Okay, that's Got cool. cut from my freshman team. And you were, you were the who of the Pacers? <laughs> Probably McConnell. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and that's generous. That, but yeah, that applies. That, that applies to what I'm I'm, I'm talking about yeah, here. Yeah. And you'll see what I mean. Eddie Garrison, you played baseball, right? I did. You were the catcher. Yes, sir. You were. You batted what in the lineup? Uh, it would depend. Uh, mainly second though. Okay. So who was the best player on your baseball team? Most of the time, the shortstop. Okay. So you were a good player, but you were not the best player on your team. Correct. Correct. Okay. Most people, if you have kids and you are looking for a team for your kids to follow and i know that there's all these people that are like i don't watch the nba anymore because i get too political or whatever whatever okay fine this group of pacer players if you take your kids to a game or if you have if you're watching on television and they happen to, to show a glimpse of this this is what i want people to see because it's a lesson for your seventh grade kid your third grade kid your ninth grade kid that all of us can learn from at the beginning of the game, T.J. McConnell, who's very handsomely paid. But Derek Schultz had a great comment yesterday where he said, every year it seems like we come up with reasons why it's time to push T.J. McConnell out, and then T.J. McConnell just pushes himself right back in, right? So T.J. McConnell, who played at two different universities, grew up playing for his dad, went to Duquesne, transferred to Arizona. People probably didn't think he could play at Arizona. And then he gets into the NBA, plays with Philly. Philly thinks like, you know, he's probably going to be down our, down the roster. Pacers pick him up, and he comes here and he plays well. And he's one of the older guys on the team. So now all of a sudden, you guys, you got guys like Tyrese Halliburton and Obi Toppin and Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nimhard that are all younger than T.J. McConnell, but they look up to him because they respect the fact that he's been around a while and he's a great professional. But what you witness before Pacer games that is true for young people to look at, and it's the reason why they're getting ready to play on Saturday night against the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm not saying this doesn't exist with Milwaukee. I'm not saying this doesn't exist with Boston. But so far, it has been the strength of the Pacers. Before the game begins... Watch when the team lines up. As the team is introduced, and you can see this at a home game noticeably, as the starters are introduced, they're introduced and they all go out and then the team gets together in the circle and they huddle around and they they do their little hijinks. And now the music pumps up and it's time for the jump ball and the game's about to start. Buddy Heald walks over and fist bumps everyone along the scorer's table the woman that's working security along the, the, the sideline, and all of the assistants. The rest of the team lines up. Tyrese Halliburton comes over and gives a fist bump to the same people that Buddy Heald did. And then the team lines up 
and the starters go one by one with TJ McConnell at the front of the line and they have a TJ McConnell has a unified handshake and little dance that he does that's different for each starter every player on the team has their own respective one that they do with TJ McConnell and the rest of the team lines up behind them and they all shake each other's hands and give a chest bump before they go out there and there have been other Pacer teams in the past that I've seen that had great players, but you could tell that there was one or two or three players that just kind of were like a coagulant when you were trying to the, the straw was trying to mix the drink, and there was one one player that just was a little too thick, and so you couldn't get everything to swirl in unison. This Pacers team shows third graders, seventh graders, ninth graders, or fifty-one-year-old people in the stands shows that if everybody works in unison and is on the same page and considers themselves a team, and notably, if a lot of that camaraderie is being led and spearheaded and guided, not by the number one, the number two, the number three guy on the roster, but rather the guy that a lot of people find is like the number nine or ten guy on the roster, that shows that they know they are as strong as each part individually as a team together. This is as good a team in terms of their respect for one another, their enjoyment of playing with one another, their cohesiveness with one another, and their ability to feed off of one another and understand that if they're having an off night, there is somebody else on that roster that is able to lift them up because they see themselves as Indiana. Paul George used to say all the time, you know, he'd pull his jersey out, Indiana, Indiana, and he was a great player. But there were cohesiveness issues when Paul George was here. Not necessarily his fault, but there were. This team doesn't have it, Jimmy, and that's part of why last night they get a nine-point win over Milwaukee because each player, when their number was called, was ready to do it because they knew they weren't just doing it for themselves, but rather to lift the rest of the roster. And it sounds overly dramatic, and it sounds overly drippy, and it sounds overly campy and sappy, but it's true. And that's why people in this town should be excited about the Pacers. And you're right. It's not necessarily an exclusive thing to Indiana, but it matters that it's happening here because it's part of this transformation that's been going on with this roster over the last two, three seasons, if you will. And you give a lot of credit to Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan for the, obviously, acquisition of Tyrese Halliburton is a I guess you need to wait and let the rest of the crew play out, but in terms of where he's ascending to, it's going to go down as one of the best trades in or a marquee trade in Pacers history. Like when no you're question. going back and looking at the history of the franchise, this is a turning point moment that's in montages forever if he continues on the trajectory that he's on. It's one thing to have a superstar. It's another thing to have somebody like TJ McConnell, who again, isn't a lone hero in yesterday's ball game against the Bucks, but he made consistent quality made quality plays was tied for second leading scoring honors of those that came off of the bench and on top of that you mentioned people trying to force out tj i remember opening night and he he's getting in in like garbage time and it looks like okay is this the point in his career where he's transitioning to the maybe the final year or two of being in the nba and then maybe he if he still wants to do this which i think and i'm not the first one to say this he would make an excellent assistant or coach within some system if that's something he want to do wants to do because of his knowledge of the game but then here he is the last couple of nights most notably last night playing significant minutes and being effective while he's doing it the other thing that really stands out from last night and I can't get over it because in losses this year the Pacers are shooting right around 30 percent 
from beyond the arc. And when you look at games where you're 24%, 25%, they've had a 13% shooting night at one point in time this year. They've all been losses. When I say they struggled, it's hard to really remember that they did struggle last night because of how effective they were in other areas. But for them to go 7 of 33... For Buddy Heald to go 0-6 from beyond the arc with the style of basketball that they play, had you just shown me those two things and asked me how last night went, I would have thought Milwaukee won. But it was a complete effort and a real... I don't want—I don't know if it's a turning point for this team, but to know that you don't just need to rely on effectiveness from downtown, the pace that you're playing, the passing, the catching teams off guard, I don't know how long that's going to catch people off guard over the course of a seven-game series... That's something for Rick Carlisle and his staff to figure out later. That doesn't matter for this tournament. You don't need to beat the Bucks in seven. You don't need to beat the Celtics in seven. And you don't need to beat LeBron James and the Lakers in seven. You just need to beat them once. And this style, regardless how you feel about it, and I know there's a lot of purists, especially on the defensive end, that it drives them crazy. But if you are in this style for this tournament, it works. And it's a reason I think they're not only going to Contend with LA. I think they're going to beat LA on Saturday night. I really do. I I, I feel very confident. Well, the, when you think about in, LA, you still think like, oh, the Lakers. You know, sure. And I mean, you know, come it, on. It's the most poetic final boss. And I tweeted this last night for a Pacers championship. And I don't remember the account that did this, but some account on Twitter listed like all the tragic or low points of the Pacers franchise for the last 15, 20 years including the brawl, including the Pacers well, running into... the last 15. I'm just kidding. I'm being Sorry. Well, I, I'm wrong because I'm going to go further than that. Last 30, 40 years. Okay. Running into Jordan, the Bulls, the brawl, running into LeBron and the Heat when you have like two historically great Pacers teams that are given a stiff arm by a team or a superstar that's a little bit better. To have that villain return when regardless how you feel about the NBA Cup, this is an opportunity to win something that has never been had before, that's not going away. The NBA is going to keep this thing, and it's going to continue to grow. The idea of being able to get the first championship in this in-season tournament's history, and LeBron James is the one at the other side, there's something really poetic about that. What you don't want to be is the trivia question. Correct. Who won the first Super Bowl? Packers. Who'd they beat? The Chiefs. You know that because you're a Chiefs fan. Correct, yes. The average person's like the Packers. Who they beat? Uh, Vikings. You know, yeah. uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, you don't want to be that trivia question. But to your point, this is a franchise that had the misfortune of having its two greatest eras happen to coincide with the era of the the eras of the two greatest players in the history of the game. Yep. The the 94 through 2000 Pacers were outstanding. And their two best teams were probably the 90. Now, the, the irony here being that the two teams, 94 and 95, were when Jordan was, was hitting curveballs or trying to. And, but Elijah Wan was a special player. I know they didn't go up against him. But in 94 and 95, you had the Pacers were still kind of feeling their way through, but they also went up against, lest we forget, Shaq, right? Yes. And it was a rising Shaq, but still he was an unstoppable and a movable force in 95, you know, as he was learning his way in. 
And then, of course, they saw peak Shaq in 2000, which was literally unstoppable. And I know Kobe Bryant was on that team and had a great game here at the Fieldhouse, but the reality is Shaq is the one that won the Lakers that title. That was the start of the Kobe ascension. Shaq had had officially planted his flag at that point. But the greatest Pacer team was 98. That is the greatest team in Pacers history. I know the 2000 team went to the finals, but the greatest Pacer team in history was 1998, and that's the team that should have beaten the Bulls in Game 7, but Scottie Pippen had 64 fouls that were uncalled, and they lost in Chicago. There's a little homerism in me saying that, but but they were, and that was obviously a historically great Bulls team, no question yeah. about it. But to your point, I think the in-season tournament, Jimmy, what it was designed to do was to announce to the world that, yes, in fact, the NBA does play at the same time as the National Football League. And maybe we, maybe we in Indiana are getting a jaded sense of its relevance because we are more excited about it than our people in, you know, are are people in Boise aware of this? Are people in San Antonio aware of it? Or are we just like, oh my gosh, everybody's paying attention and watching Do we just think that because it's Indiana? I don't know, but they're on national television, and you've got also the discussion now flowing about a legitimate discussion that Tyrese Halliburton is trying to recruit players to come to Indiana. That was the the thought when Halliburton, when they acquired Halliburton, I remember last year, Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan and and Rick Carlisle, you know, got together with with the media, and one of the things they said was, "Look, Tyrese Halliburton is the kind of guy that we hope can bring players here. They they were hoping that Paul George could be that guy, and Paul George thought he could be that guy. And of course, I know Paul George claims that he went to them and said, "You got to get Anthony Davis," like as if they were just going to make a call and Anthony Davis was going to get a U-Haul and two men in a truck and they were going to move here, right? Um, the, the beginning of the end of the Paul-George relationship was when Larry Bird said, Paul doesn't make decisions, and I'm paraphrasing because he actually said don't, but Paul didn't make the decisions around here. That was the beginning of the end. Halliburton, the Pacers were hoping that the St. Vincent Performance Center across the street, the renovations to Gamebridge Fieldhouse could offset the, the smaller market, cold weather, drab nature of Indianapolis in the wintertime and that Halliburton was the sunshine that was going to be able to melt that snow and get players want, that would want to live in Indianapolis in January. And it seemed like kind of a pipe dream, but the way that he has played on this stage and the enthusiasm that he has shown, when you start getting big national outlets talking about how Tyrese Halliburton could in fact be the center magnet that finally starts to bring pieces here – with the cap space, with the maneuverability of flexibility of roster that they have, that is the trajectory that this franchise, quite frankly, Jimmy, has been looking for for 30 years. And this is where I put on a rare different hat. Usually I always wear the optimistic hat, and I do believe that Tyrese Halliburton, with that optimistic hat on, is the best hope for that to happen. I believe the Pacers can acquire. The question is... Do players finally decide to buy in and want to be a part of this thing? Because you're right, there's been instances where it's been close, and there's a chance if he continues to ascend that Tyrese is going to be a a better, well, he needs to get better defensively, but potentially a better all-around player than Paul George ever was. If he reaches that ascension, then yes, it should be enough to want players to come here, but 
that's an area where I can't let myself get too excited one way or the other about it until it actually happens. I hate to have the Doubting Thomas hat on, but like I get it. I, I've seen You're that part of the story it. before. I get it. Generally an optimist, but with that aspect of it, more of a realist. That said, though, I that's not that's a conversation for another day in terms of my realism on that. I have optimism with this team as it's currently constructed. Again, I don't know what this looks like in a playoff series, right? Like you would think if you're doing this same style of play over the course of seven games against a great team that there's going to be adjustments and it's not going to come as easy as it did where Giannis and Brooke Lopez are walking up the floor and you're throwing a pass to Miles Turner behind them in two seconds. I don't know if that's going to happen every night in a seven-game series. Doesn't matter. It's a single elimination tournament and you need one more dub to capture the NBA Cup in the inaugural in-season tournament. Do you remember... Let's go back to, I don't know, 2008, 2010, 2006, for that matter. Who was the most marketed athlete in American sports? Couldn't turn on the television without seeing a commercial with him. Tiger? Couldn't turn on the television without seeing him endorsing a product. Ten different products. Shaq? 2010, the guy that, like, MasterCard, Allstate. Peyton? Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning did more commercials in the 2010, probably the 2005 to 2010s of anybody in American sports. Cut that meat. Cut that meat. Hosting Saturday Night Live. Doing the Allstate commercials. All of it, right? I mean, everywhere you turned was Peyton Manning. And yet, what did we hear? Indianapolis is a small market. It's pretty difficult to grow your own brand. In today's world, in the multimedia platforms that we have, that narrative is gone. And Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers are aware of that and are now hoping that, in fact, they have the sunshine that brightens things up in the winter for other players to come here and play. Scott Agnes going to join us talking more Pacers next. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Ever since the Time Person of the Year award came out, Eddie Garrison's been bopping this stuff all over the office. Gets a little bit nauseating, right? Which is particularly impressive because Eddie himself claims that he doesn't need to know anything about 1989 because he wasn't alive yet. Isn't that right, Eddie? Never once said that, and I only play Taylor Swift for our next guest because he loves Taylor Swift. Big fan. Scott Agnes, do you have your tickets lined up for when Taylor Swift comes to Indianapolis? Jake, I do not. Uh, I, like most people in Indianapolis, did not even get a code. Okay. Well, you know, they've got the secondary market. They do. Uh, That would take uh, a little bit extra resources, and I'm not quite willing to hit that. Really need to stretch that much. Just now, yet. meanwhile, so though, you are in Vegas, right? I am absolutely. Well, listen, Looking all you got to do—it's easy. Room right now, I used to say all the time 
that the roulette table, the way to do it was you just go, you take some chips, and you put it right there on number 31, and it would always hit within five spins every single time, right? I guess, actually, I need to, to shift away and start incorporating other numbers other than 31 to be my good luck charm, correct? It sure sounds like it. Maybe zero right there, zero black. I mean, seriously, right? Let, let's begin with this. Um, Scott, I, first question before we get to the game and just the Pacers and the Lakers and the in-season tournament and all of that, I am curious of this. The atmosphere at T-Mobile Arena was what and the percentage of fan breakdown, and by that I mean Pacer fans, Bucks fans, and just people in general that were there because it was an event, breaks down how? Yeah, so I will say the turnout – of fans for the first game was better than I was expecting. I mean, remember, out here is a 2.13 uh, Pacific time start, so middle of the day. Um, and I would estimate it was over 90% full um, once you got it going into the game. It started at probably 80% um, and stretched out to 90%. In terms of breakdown of fans, that's going to be very difficult. I think the, there were more – it sounded like there were more Bucks fans – than Pacer fans. The environment in terms of like high stakes and how basically all you had was fans reacting to big moments. Dame hits a big shot. Tyrese has a step back they have not seen before. Outside of that, it was just constant music playing in the arena. Um, and much like at Laker games, for example, it was theater lighting. So you couldn't see past the benches. That's, that's in large part why I couldn't provide a real breakdown of how many Pacer fans and, and such. Scott, when you look at their three-point shooting percentage last night, I had said this in our opening segment that if I would have just seen that and then been asked what happened, I would have thought they did not win. When you look at reasons why they were able to still not only stay afloat but ultimately wind up winning by nine against Milwaukee with how much they struggled from beyond the arc, what would you point to? Is it their pace? Is it the unselfishness in the passing? Of course, Tyrese Halliburton being the straw that stirs the drink. Where's the biggest area in terms of, well, yeah, they didn't shoot particularly well from beyond the arc, but it didn't matter because of this. Yeah, so what I thought it was was they did enough to stay around, not get deep in a hole or anything like that. And so then you go into that fourth quarter, you're only down by three, and here's where it changed rebounding and second-chance opportunities. This team's not good at rebounding. Hasn't probably been on my entire decade-plus on the beat. They just have never been uh, good at rebounding. But this team had eight offensive rebounds, leading to 13 second-chance points. And I go back to that big stretch where we all remember Tyrese's step back that kind of sealed the win. What happened on the two previous possessions? Miss, follow-up, tip-in. Miss, follow-up, dunk. So right there back-to-back second-chance opportunities, and Tyrese's was after a miss as well. That's what changed the game. Scott, when you look at the way the Pacers have played, and it's going to sound like an odd question, but it does feel like with these in-season tournament games, maybe it's because of the the attention that is necessary to beat you know, you got to be pretty intense to beat Milwaukee and to beat Boston. It's different than playing against Detroit and, you know, whatever else. Are they just simply extra incentivized for these games, or are we noticing the elevation of play that is there anyway, but it seems now magnified because these games, quote-unquote, mean something? 
No, I, I think everybody is upping their level here. You can feel the tension, even kind of in pregame interviews and things like that. Like these feel different, which, by the way, is exactly the point and what Adam Silver is wanting in this new concept that has been in discussion for more than 10 years, and they finally kind of got it off the ground this year. Um, a lot of it kind of copying what, what's happening with soccer, what has happened with soccer overseas. I mean, all the way down to a, an entirely different trophy, you know, a walk-in with a red carpet on the way in. But no, Jake, I think absolutely the, the the stakes are felt. The money is felt. I mean, that's one of the things I'm going to write about today is, yes, there's a game and a championship on the line, but part of what has made this so special is you throw competitive dudes out there who want to win regardless, and now there's a, 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 a sweetener in the pot in $500,000 now on the line. And, yeah, that may not mean as much to a guy like Miles Turner, who makes $20 million per year. Think about Ben Shepard, who's you know a first-year guy um, and, and gets the same pot of money regardless. And even better, think about the two-way guys who aren't really contributing right now on the court. They get half a stake, so they'll get roughly half of that, 250000 So all of that has contributed to making each of these games feel more important, and in turn, guys are treating them differently where otherwise these December games, we wouldn't even be talking about totally. right now. Scott, let me ask you this. Scott Agnes, by the way, Fieldhouse Files is our guest. He's out in Las Vegas, Pacers and Lakers tomorrow night from Las Vegas for the in-season tournament championship. We'll get you information, by the way, on how you can watch that along with other Pacer fans at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Um, Scott, do you remember when they first announced – a couple years ago you probably would know the year off the top of your head when they first announced they were going to do the hickory jerseys do you remember that i do yeah about seven years ago everybody was all in right it's like this is awesome you know bill simmons like i gotta get one everybody's in right people buying t-shirts hats the whole deal and it was cool i I, don't get me wrong it was cool but like year three people are like "Uh, are we still doing this really uh, any chance that that happens with this in-season tournament? Right now, everybody's all bought in, and fans love it. But will water find its level? I, I think it's only going to get a little bit better um, because the number one thing in all this that it's accomplishing is making these December games relevant and, and even bigger, I guess, is part of the everyday national conversation. For example, I don't even know what happened in the Thursday night football game last night. Ordinarily, that would dominate everything in all of our lives, seemingly in the sports world, right? Given I'm out here in Vegas, where NBA is, uh, you know, totally in control. But that's that's part of the game here. Is can they take back some territory? Can they make some of these early season games more relevant before the trade deadline? I mean, there's there's a, probably a portion of the, this listening audience that doesn't think the NBA season really gets started in earnest until after football, right around the All Star break there in mid February. So. This is accomplishing a lot, I think, to change that. And you talk to the players um, about their feelings towards it, and they'll even admit they're surprised that it has taken off as quickly as it did. Usually it might take two or three years. And really, outside of the the courts, which I think are awful and need to be corrected, um, you you can have them stand out without having them be an eyesore. Uh, Outside of the courts, I think this has been an overwhelming success. Scott, have you seen the movie Big Daddy with Adam Sandler? Yes, I actually okay. have. There, there's yeah. a scene in the movie, uh, they're going to get breakfast at McDonald's, and the little kid that, that Adam Sandler is carrying um, 
wets himself and, and like you know all over Adam Sandler's sweatshirt and all over the kid's leg. I don't know if you recall that scene, um, but that was last night's Thursday night football with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So there you go. There's your. There's exactly what happened last night in Thursday night football. You're all caught up. Uh, last night the Patriots were the big daddy and the little kid that wet himself was the Pittsburgh Steelers. Unfortunately, on the other side, in the second game, which I wasn't able to watch because I was writing, the Lakers seemingly did that to the Pelicans in the second <laughs> half. And one hey, Zion Williamson said that he didn't th- that he regretted and apologized for the fact that he just didn't have enough energy. No excuse for that one, man. They're out here for two days and and have nothing to do but rest, relax, and get prepared for that game. But it's Vegas, man. Well, I mean, is it really? Can you do you relax in Vegas? I guess you can go to the pools, right? What's the temperature out there right now? Uh, probably uh, low sixties. Yeah, see, so I, you know, I guess you know, you're not hanging around the pools. Maybe the the spa area. I don't know. Might be, might be late nights at the buffet for Zion, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> you never know. Yeah, no, it was, and it was funny in his question. I, I go back to a couple of days ago, Jake, when he was t- every player uh, that went to the podium was basically kind of asked, "How would you treat the championship? Like how?" It, it, you know, what is too much maybe to celebrate this championship? Do you hang a banner in your arena, stuff like that? Well, Zion and, and Brandon Ingram were kind of asked about it, and Zion got the biggest, boyish, childish face, uh, or smile on his face, rather, where he, he was clearly thinking about going out and partying, and his face said it all. So th- there you go. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files is our guest. Scott, we highlighted it yesterday, but since you were out there, I want to get your perspective on it. How big, we know how big he was defensively against Boston, but how big defensively was Aaron Neesmith in this game, especially late drawing that matchup against Damian Lillard very often? I know Dame got hot in the third quarter, but was able to stymie that a little bit down the stretch. How big was he there? How important is he on Saturday? Yeah, huge. I mean, it's funny. I got a text from a national reporter during the game being like, man, Aaron Neesmith's like the perfect guy. I want 117 of him on my team because he's a guy that doesn't do anything amazing. He's not perfect in any way, but he does everything solid. He's all about the team, and you're right. I mean, I would guess his chest um, and arms and everything are sore from the amount of blows that he was absorbing from Giannis because especially seeing him up close and we had way better seats here, um, for the game yesterday is you see those head-to-head battles and the constant pressure applied. I thought Aaron did about as well as you could in those matchups. I thought Benedict Mathern had some spots. I mean, that one was a clear mismatch. I thought he hung in enough. Uh, and then Nemar's the next big question because if you don't have him, that's a, that's a tough loss. And remember, he hit the big shot to beat the Lakers uh, last year to high, kind of highlight his rookie season um, it appears he suffered a hyperextended right knee. We don't know just yet for sure. Um, but I would imagine they're getting tests done right now leading up to practice. But those guys are your defensive stop. Excuse me, defensive stoppers. So you definitely need them coming up tomorrow. Scott, Scott Agnes is our guest. He's out in Las Vegas from Fieldhouse Files. When you look at what Rick Carlisle's done, and, and I'll give him a lot of credit here because – I think it's one thing to have depth of being able to plug guys in. Isaiah Jackson comes to mind, or TJ McConnell, to be able to come in and give you really good quality minutes in key moments. The thing that I think is a challenge is keeping guys like that invested to the point where they are ready to go and they go in there without any chip at all when they might go a game without playing and then another game have to go out and play 16 minutes. What do you think has been – has Rick Carlisle himself – 
maybe even matured as a coach, which is odd to say for a guy with his experience. But do you think maybe he learned some things from the way some of his star players towards the end might have felt in Dallas? Yeah, I think that to that latter point, I'm sure that is absolutely – um, affected the way in which he's gone about treating and, and helping and bringing along Tyrese in, in comparison to what he did with Luca. where, you know, talking to my, some of my Dallas media friends down here, they're like, oh, no, there was no relationship. It was awful. It did not go over well. Um, I mean, why would you leave Luca if it wasn't bad, right? So I'm sure that helped inform him more specifically with a guy now like Tyrese who was just taking off and what a leap for, for Carlisle to be able to go from Luca to Tyrese. But in terms of the depth, I mean, I, I think that's because that's worked out well and guys not getting hot and bothered about a lot because it's a collection of guys that haven't done anything just yet and they're all kind of motivated and, and inspired towards the same end goal. Like, you look at this roster, I think Miles Turner is the only guy that has played in a playoff game um, amongst this group. I guess Neesmith might have had a minor role with Boston. Um, but this group, I mean, Buddy Heald has the most games played in the league without reaching the playoffs. So that's what's helping to inspire this group, and they're all kind of on that same timeline. Now, if they had to play a seven-game series against, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks, I think it's a little bit different. You're playing in their environment, those sort of things. But to go back then to about the magic of this in-season tournament, again, then it has more of that March Madness feel, it's kind of one win can kind of change everything. And this young Pacers group um, maybe is too inexperienced to even know the difference, and they're just thriving in this environment. Scott, does this feel different in terms of Pacers teams that you've covered? Again, I get it. It's a unique environment already, so that's going to be different. And I know, as you mentioned, this isn't a playoff run in terms of the traditional sense, and it doesn't have the adjustments of a seven-game series, but – does this team feel different, or how does it feel different than previous iterations of the Pacers you've covered? Yeah, I think the I will say the first thing I think that feels different about this group is in some ways they're so talented at one thing being offense that it's helping to overcome their deficiencies defensively. Like they have not been a good defensive team, although they're, they, we see it in spurts. That's the al- annoying kind of alarming thing is we can see they are capable in times like we saw much during the fourth quarter where – I think Giannis and Dame combined for like 10 points. I was just sitting back waiting for like, all right, Dame will take over, right? Nope, not yet. But uh, And then the, the makeup of this team, that's why continuity is such a big factor as well. You bring back basically all but one rotation player from last season. And I think that's a very advantageous move um, for a, a young group going into the second season. And because that, they're on the same page. They're gelling. Obi Toppins fit in seamlessly. Um, and what he's doing, and then you you have some quiet leaders kind of behind the scenes that are helping bring all this along. Like you know the obvious ones, but then I think about uh, you know T.J. McConnell and what what he's accomplished, and he's a coach in the making. So all the invaluable experiences and lessons he can t- teach along the way, and eventually maybe we'll get to see some of the rookies, and, and there will be ample playing time for those two guys to get in because I think Jared Walker could really help fill a need. That's why he was drafted. He's just not ready yet. Scott, we appreciate the time as always. By the way, somebody, you'll like this, Scott. This is the ultimate compliment, I guess, to your uh, how tied in you are to the Pacers. Somebody sends me uh, a tweet. Wait a minute. Pacers beat the Bucks, advance to a championship game, Jake, and you have a Pacer employee on, and your first question is about the environment. 
Thank God for Jimmy Cook. Well, that's good for you, Jimmy, right? Oh, hey, look at me. Um, so, Scott, not only um, are you not an employee, obviously, you write for Fieldhouse Files, but secondly, and, and you do some stuff for us as well and come on this program, but we also did – we actually just got off of the float on Monument Circle from the parade we led down Meridian Street for the first 30 minutes of the program. But it's cool. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. We do what we can to help our city, right? Well, the thing is, Scott, I mean, and then – went on to tell me that the national media continues to scoop the local media because as you know scott i i don't have any insights to the pacers at all right i mean in terms of just yeah, the way things yeah. work you know I, I feel bad for you it's unfortunate right? <laughs> no that's yeah I, I, that's just far removed i don't i don't understand that thought right there but I, to, the, to the bigger picture i will say it has been interesting and, and good for the team the fact like last night totally that the national media is on board no seats available in the post-game press conference room. Yeah, There was more questions than they had time to get to. And in comparison, for everyone listening, there's normally three of us asking questions post-game. That's it. That's it. And last night, you could, we didn't have enough time to do all the questions and answers that we wanted to. And everybody, I'm sure, is blowing out a Tyrese Halliburton piece today. That's good for the city. That's great for the Pacers. Scott, it also is good for you because it means we get to continue to read your coverage of Fieldhouse Files, including on Saturday about the Lakers game and your time out in Vegas. Appreciate the time as always. You bet. Thanks, Jake. All right, Scott Agnes joining us on the program. We come back, we'll get some of that national perspective, right, Jimmy? Of course, here in a little bit of NBA.com's top 10 list and NBA TV, Bo Esty is going to join us at the top of the hour. Of course, a little bit later, more Colts coverage as we get set for the weekend. Kevin Bowen's going to stop by as well, top of the 2 o'clock hour. Happy Friday to you. It's Query and Company heading into the weekend. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. So I'm actually going to be in Milwaukee tomorrow night. Jimmy, should I wear my Pacer stuff? Yes. I wore... In the summer of 94, when I interned in New York City, I wore a Pacers t-shirt literally every, like, I I think actually the same t-shirt every day, Um, like every day in New York City. And that was during the Pacers-Knicks play, the Eastern Conference Finals. I think you should wear a Pacers shirt and then while walking around, keep looking at your wrist and ask Milwaukeeans for the time. I think that's what you should do personally. (laughs) Hey, what time's tip? (laughs) You guys know? Listen. I know that you're on a big lake here, but the bottom line is there's another team playing the Lakers because it's the in-season tournament finale tonight, the championship for the NBA Cup. Are you watching? Of course, if I admittedly, if I was a Bucks fan, I'd probably say, you know, we won a pretty big one a couple. Yeah, recently, they, they, right? they can hang their hat on the Larry O'Brien Trophy and be just fine. But still, that said, massive win. And coming up here in a minute, we're going to talk with Bo Estes of NBA.com and NBA TV, and he had an interesting tweet that I don't want to get Bo into hot water out of the gate because he's fascinated and loves Tyrese Halliburton and this team as much as anybody, but he called out both the Pacers and the Lakers in terms of the style of play that they have. Are either of these teams likely to be in the finals 
in June. And I get it. That's a big leap from just making the playoffs. And he said he doesn't think so. And he's probably right. But it might not be for all the same reasons we think. And for the Pacers, as we localize it, stylistically, we will find out in the coming months as they continue after Saturday back to their regular season goals of if this style of play is sustainable over a seven-game series. But again, I can't stress it enough. It does not matter on Saturday. All you have to do on Saturday is do something you've done before in a one-game sample size. Let's beat LeBron James. Jimmy, every year during the Indy 500, there is a team that qualifies well, starts in the front row, and then as soon as the race starts, they drop like a rock into like the 15th spot on the grid. And the reason why is because there are two ways to set up your race car. One is to set it up for qualifying, meaning that your aerodynamic on it is designed for with no other no other cars around you creating air all around you. The other is to set up your car to be able to handle all of the wind and turbulation that comes with 32 other cars around you. The second one makes it more difficult to be fast. But if you are able to control your car in those conditions, you have a very good race car, right? Two different ways. The Pacers right now have absolutely figured out their qualifying format. What they've got to do now, and I'm talking about being able to defend, what they've got to do now is be able to figure out how to run that car in traffic when you've got other people on the floor that you also have to stop. And once they find that out, then they've already shown that they have the speed to be in the front three rows. Question is, are they going to be able to find out everything else to maintain that over the course long term in the race? Bo Estes is going to join us next. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Pacers are headed to the finals. The in-season tournament finals. Single elimination style against the Los Angeles Lakers. Which means we need to get a little national perspective. And who better than one of my favorites... It's Bo Estes of NBA.com's Top 10 Lore, as well as on NBA TV. Bo, I want to dive right into it first. Thanks, as always, for making the time for us. Good to hear from you. Happy holidays to you as well. You were active as well as most of NBA Twitter last night in reacting to all of the in-season tournament. Let's start first with the Pacers. Over the Bucks. your initial reaction and the budding superstar, or as Reggie Miller put it last night, a superstar rising in front of our eyes in Tyrese Halliburton in their big win over Milwaukee in the semis. I mean, I think Tyrese Halliburton is in full bloom. I think he's a superstar right now. I think we just have to recognize that maybe we were late to the game. Maybe we nationally didn't recognize it as quickly as you guys did locally, but I I described it last night as a basketball revolution. Excuse me. I just haven't seen um, anything quite like this in the modern era. I I had to go back, and I was thinking about 
and this is this is going to you know be well before much of your audience. This is like the 1980s Denver Nuggets with the way that they just freight train score you and churn out points and churn out points and churn out points and get them quickly on the fast break. Um, the other thing that it reminded me of, and this is really reaching out there, is Loyola Marymount and Paul Westhead's days with Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball. I mean. They seem to be like water going downhill. They find the weakness in your defense, and they expose it. They exploit it. If you adjust, they find something new and move over there. I was watching for a while last night, and I I just kept thinking, they're getting open free-throw line jumpers against this zone time after time after time. Of course they're going to win this game. They didn't even shoot particularly well from the three-point line. And they were able to score in loads. So um, it's it's something to witness. Um, you know, like you mentioned, I come at it from a national perspective, and I've been doing this for a long time. And I keep trying to put this style of basketball, Jimmy, into the playoffs and, and say, okay, how does this work against a team that's going to see them several nights in a row, that's going to make adjustments? Um, and the one thing that I keep coming back to is Tyrese Halliburton doesn't make turnovers. So it's not like you're going to screw him up. Um, it's going to be fun to watch this team's ceiling. I don't know that they're uh, an NBA Finals team right now, uh, but I remember back before the Golden State Warriors became, you know, this four-time champion machine, uh, you know, even Charles Barkley on national TV a jump shooting team can't win an NBA championship. It's just never going to happen. They're going to get exposed. Um, I don't want to place too many doubts on this team. I think they're, they're that good. Um, and, and with Tyrese Halliburton at the head of the snake, Lord knows a lot can happen with this squad. Now, first off, Bo, let's not sell short Jeff Fryer either on those Loyola Marymount teams. I mean, come on. you got to have the guy that just stands there and hits shots, right? And, and then gets it's Quinn Butner laughing from the Long Beach Arena. I mean, let's be fair. Um, you know what? Well, first of all, I feel seen. Thank you for recognizing what I'm trying to reference here. I appreciate it. But I, literally, that's what I was dialing back to last night. I was like, totally. have I No, I get it. Before? It's something like that. And, you know, but here's the thing. That Loyola team, for those listening that that aren't sure of the reference, the the Bo Kimball, Hank Gathers, you know Jeff Fryer was their shooter, but they just played this wide open style that took the NCAA tournament by storm. Hank Gathers, of course, unfortunately passed, but then in the tournament they just scored a billion points, and then they went up against Vegas and. They kind of got beat at their own game, but Vegas was able to ramp up a little defensively on them with Stacey Ogman. The same thing of those Denver Nuggets teams when you've got like Fat Lever and I think probably Alex English late in his career. Yep. They're scoring like yep. a billion points, Bo, but what, what became the Achilles for those teams was defensively. So question is, clearly Indiana needs to tighten the screws defensively. But when you do that, do you run the risk in, as a result – dropping yourself one cylinder down on offense and thus taking away what makes you unique? I think you do. I really think you do. And I think, you know, you've got a wonderful coach in Rick Carlisle who's going to have to gauge that perfectly and and really adjust the dial. Uh, But look, anybody who's watched NBA playoff basketball knows it's a different thing than regular season basketball. It's slower. They allow more physicality. Um, you know, for, for your you know fans who have been watching NBA basketball for years and years and even dating back to the 90s, um, it's not 
quite as physical, the defense, as it used to be. And by not quite as, I mean not nearly as physical. Um, so they allow less physicality, but in the playoffs it gets tougher. So I, I see teams go through an adjustment. Even those Golden State Warriors had to get beat a couple times in the playoffs to learn how to really ratchet it up. Um, and I, I would expect that would be true of Indiana. But as I pointed out last night, it's such a, a different approach to basketball. And you've got such a uniquely gifted player at point guard in Halliburton who just doesn't seem to make mistakes. That who knows? I mean, it's almost like a wild card bet that we can't tell you if, if maybe this team can make a deep run in the playoffs. Um, and the other side of this is I think it's, it's a wonderful thing that this in-season tournament has happened because it's a national introduction to this team. You know, we've been following this story. You know, we see the stats. We see the numbers. It's, you know, we're into December, and neither Indiana nor an Indiana opponent has scored less than 100 points in a game this year. That's just bizarre. I, I mean, just that number alone is crazy to me. But that's the way they're going, and that's the way they approach basketball. Uh, so, you know, buckle up for the ride. And the, the other thing I pointed out last night is I'm good friends with the people who pick the games on national TV. If they win this game against the Lakers tomorrow and it's wildly entertaining, they could be a flex game later in the season. People may start to really want to see nationally this Indiana Pacers ball club because they're so fun to watch. They're just a joy. Halliburton's shot, Bo. Bo Estes is our guest from NBA.com and NBA TV. Halliburton's shot is so unique, obviously, because of the low presentation initially when he's shooting, right? He doesn't have the Reggie yeah. Miller form of like the high above the head flick of the wrist. Yep. For that reason, he needs to create space for himself because it does take him perhaps a little bit longer to set his shot. Right now, he has the foot quickness and the dribble quickness to get himself that space. Is he going to have to read or defense is going to figure out how to counter that, especially like with a double or whatever else where he is going to have to figure out how to get a quicker release or is his foot quickness such that it offsets it for him permanently? Well, uh, it's not Jimmy Chetwood, right? It's, you know, it's not a perfect classic form. Uh, he, he, the one thing I think he has going for him is he's 6'5", and he's often guarded by people that are a little bit smaller than him. I know switches happen and everything else. Uh, it is bizarre. Every time I see it, I think, gosh, that doesn't seem like it should work, but it does. Uh, again, it's, it's a good question for now, but it's a better question for the playoffs when the grind gets a little tougher, when people work a little bit harder through picks, uh, when they allow people to work a little bit harder through picks. I think that's when it gets challenging. But, you know, I think he can make it when it's reasonably well guarded. But there is a hitch in it, and it takes just an extra half beat longer, and it allows defenses to recover. I I saw, you know, him in an interview the other night, uh, and coaches at first wanted to change it. And then they just saw it going in and going in and going in, and they left it alone. I don't think that shot will change much throughout the course of his career because it's successful enough. Uh, and he, you know, again, going back to the original point, he's just taller than most of the, the point guards in the league. So he's got a little height advantage that allows him just a, just an hair extra time. Uh, but it's not something that I would go teach somebody in, in basketball. It's just, it's just, a, it's just an odd looking shot. 
Bo Estes is our guest. You hear him on NBA.com's top 10 throughout the course of the NBA season and see him as well on NBA TV. This is weird because I'm going to become the official interviewer for one question because I want Jake to weigh in on this after Bo does. Bo, you and I have had this text exchange a little bit this week and then you posted this tweet last night, which reads as follows. Tyrese Halliburton may produce the greatest Indiana Pacers season ever. Bo, from a national perspective, what makes you say that? And Jake, from the local angle, what would it take for that to be true? So I'll, I'll, I'll give you just my thought. I went back and looked at Reggie Miller's MVP voting, and I've looked at you know Pacers MVP voting, and I thought to myself, Tyrese Halliburton, if this run continues, well, look, I don't even want to say he could finish as high as second. He could win the darn thing. He really could. Um, but, you know, you, you imagine that Nikola Jokic is the favorite. Um, he, Joel Embiid, and Giannis Antetokounmpo have sort of separated themselves from the rest of the players in the NBA the past couple of seasons, particularly when it comes to regular season performance. So I would start with that group of guys. Behind them, I put Tyrese Halliburton, and he is on the rise. So let's say he gets a second-place finish or a third-place finish in the MVP voting. I just, I just will offer up that may be the single greatest season an Indiana Pacers player has ever put up. Uh, you know, I'm not going back to ABA days. I didn't look that far back. But, it, you know, sort of in, since the three-point era, what else is out there? Uh, I, I'm not sure. It, it really does seem within the realm of possibility. Here's the thing, Bo, and I think I think we're kind of saying the same thing in two different languages. Reggie Miller was the face of this franchise and still is to a great extent because he helped break through this franchise finally from its ABA days into its NBA legitimacy. But he was never more than a third-team All-NBA player. Part of that is because of the depth of the position he played at the time he played it. But I think that we, understandably, rightly, and celebratory sense so, probably almost exaggerate his level of overall, over the course of season greatness because his greatest moments came in the postseason either against the greatest player in the world or in the greatest arena in the world. And so, therefore, it elevates us where, in a vacuum, we see it thinking that that represents the totality of the body of work. And he was a fabulous player. But in terms of breakthrough overall, all statistical elevation of everybody around him, Halliburton this year, you are correct, probably has that ability to do that to a unique level. Billy Knight would be the only player that had a scoring level to this to this volume on a consistent basis, but it was on a team that was winning. You know, he was averaging twenty eight a game, and his team won twenty seven games. Right? So, what good does that do you? So, I would agree with you actually. Well, it's an awkward question because I think you're right. Look, I I worked with Reggie Miller. I I know a bit. There's a star quality to Reggie as well. Uh, and, and, and the other point you made, I think, is really interesting. He elevated that team. He elevated that town. He made them popular. He had that incredible run in MSG. And then he, you know, he really pushed the goat. He was pushing Michael Jordan pretty, pretty far. So um, I, I think that there is that place in our memory banks with Reggie Miller. I think nationally, the first player anybody thinks of when they think of the Pacers is Reggie Miller. Oh, for I sure. I really do. But you know, Bo, what's interesting is, and it is a fascinating conversation because, 
And look, I, I absolutely love Reggie Miller, right? And Reggie Miller was able to do it for not just one season, but for like a decade and a half, right? Yep. So there's your difference right there. There's the benchmark. But that said, I think people forget part of what elevated Reggie Miller was once you acquired Dale and Antonio Davis to get him free on the wings, once you acquired Derek McKee to facilitate from passes out of the low post, that lifted Reggie Miller, whereas Tyrese Halliburton is the guy that right now is playing the role of the Davis brothers and Derek McKee by elevating everybody else. I, I think that's true, and I, I think the other thing that, that is, is tough to ever account for is imagine Reggie Miller with the greenest of green lights in this era, in the three-point oh, era, yeah, yeah. where there's all sorts of space, and he's just able to light folks up from three. You know, I talked about Halliburton being tall. Reggie's six seven, So he would be shooting all day long, wide open threes. He would be absolutely crushing. And I, I try to, you know, when I think of the impact that the three-point era has had on statistics, imagine just, for instance, if the NFL – all of a sudden arbitrarily decided those touchdowns that are beyond the 10-yard line are worth nine points and everything inside is worth six points. So we give you 50% more for touchdowns outside the nine. It just fundamentally changes the game. Uh, so the scoring is different. And those that are specialists before the green light became super green, and credit Steph for that, uh, their stats aren't what they really would have been. And I think Reggie in this era – would be, you know, obviously a super max player, and his star would be even brighter now than it was then. Bo Estes, NBA.com's top 10 with us. Bo, when you look at this matchup on Saturday night, in terms of the style of play and the star power and rising star power, even if some national, not you, but some national might knock the fact that it's the Pacers there, I think it's going to be a highly entertaining, great matchup, as good of a matchup in terms of what's going to be on display as the league could have hoped for in this inaugural event of the NBA in-season tournament, the chase for the NBA Cup. What do you see when you look at both these teams and how they match up? Well, just first of all, from the matchup itself, uh, from a TV perspective, the city of Milwaukee does not necessarily rate better than the city right, of Indiana. Right. Milwaukee became a thing because Giannis is there and he's one of the best players in the world. I think that this introduction to Tyrese Halliburton on a world stage is valuable to the NBA. So I, my personal opinion is it's great Indiana is there. Uh, as far as a matchup, boy, if I'm Indiana, I'm just sitting there thinking – Let's run these old guys into the ground. Let's just make them run and run and run and run. And, oh, man, I wish this game was in Denver because I would run them even harder. Uh, and I, that would be my approach. I would see how far you could push that Lakers team. Now, to me, LeBron James is the smartest player in the league. He's going to control tempo as much as he can and, and move this game in a way that advantages his skills and his abilities at 38, which are still tremendous. Um, Indiana is, you know, of all their great things, they're a pretty terrible rebounding team. Uh, and so it's just a huge contrast in style. I mean, Anthony Davis is going to crush them on the boards. Uh, LeBron James is really going to pound them. Uh, if their shooters are hitting, if the Lakers' shooters are hitting, and, and by shooters I mean those that are not Anthony Davis and LeBron James, those other supplemental players, it gets challenging, I think, for Indiana. Uh, but I think Indiana can push the tempo in such a way uh, 
that you can you can run the tires off the Lakers. I really think so. I'm, I'm I this is me trying to wrap my mind around the Pacers, and I really want to see them try that. I want to see how far they can push the needle, get to as, as close to Loyola Marymount as you can, because I think it would be fascinating to see how the Lakers respond. I don't know that they have it in them. I honestly don't. Um, I don't expect to see either of these teams in the finals. So to me, this is this is a huge moment for both squads, uh, and I'm excited for it. I really am. Bo, I we could do. I, I mean, this show goes till three. I, <laughs> we could go until three on Loyola Marymount, to be honest with you. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's, a, it's one of those things I wish young viewers would just go back uh, and look at the longer game tape. Don't look at the highlights. Look at the longer game tape for what they were. It's two things. It's a choice. It's a conscious choice. What they were giving up for what they were taking. And that's the approach. It was so, it was so bizarre. It was so out there. But it did work to a point. Listen, uh, so that's the question. Th- that th- listen, Bo, that ninety game against Michigan in the tournament. I mean, Michigan's the defending yeah. national champs. They got Ramil Robinson out there and like Mark Hughes and Loivat, and they're literally running around like, well, "What are we doing here?" I, I mean, we're down one forty nine to one ten. What what are we doing <laughs> here, right? I want to see Indiana try that with the Lakers. I really do. I want to see how far they can push them. And, you know, when I, when I first jumped on with you guys, one of the things I pointed out is, like, I'm scared to place limitations on the Pacers, much like people were placing limitations on the Golden State Warriors. I don't know how far this can go. I don't know how much this can change the game. But when I saw them last night, Milwaukee didn't know what to do. So they go to this zone, and it's open free-throw line jumper after open free-throw line jumper. That's just easy for NBA players. That's low-hanging fruit. They're going to knock that out all day. And that's what Indiana got without a single turnover from Hal Burton. But, you know, so, they've got both. Yeah. They, they do have good pieces to complement and it's carry great. with them. Like, And the guy that really I think has been important for them, you know, what Indiana's doing is impressive because you have Isaiah Jackson giving quality minutes coming off of games where he's not seeing the floor. Same for T.J. McConnell. Same for Aaron Neesmith. But the guy that, the guy that I thought – they probably felt was going to be elevated a little more so far this year that hasn't taken off might be Matherin, but that's offset yeah. by the fact that, that Buddy Heald, you were ready to put Buddy Heald out to pasture, and yet he just keeps scratching at the back door, and it's like, all right, we'll come back in, right? And he seemed ready to go. He seemed, get me out of it. You totally. know, I thought that Buddy Heald wanted out. So now I, I saw Sam Amick write something in The Athletic that, you know, Indiana was a place – people want it out of, and all of a sudden now it's a place people want into. People want to be a part of this thing. Uh, You know, that goes back to Halliburton, but like, good Lord, the players seem to really buy into this thing. And I don't know what clicked. It'll be interesting to look back and say, was there a moment where everybody's eyes in that Pacers locker room got it, where everybody sort of snapped to attention and said, oh, this is going to work. I would be fascinated to know if there was a collective moment because there seems to be so much buy-in right now. Uh, and it's, it's fantastic to watch. It's a long season, guys. It's a grind. The NBA season is a grind. So enjoy this moment right now. Uh, but again, I, I don't think it has to end. I really don't think it has to. I think they can change basketball. You know, when, when, when the Golden State Warriors went on their run and they had the two greatest shooters of all time pouring in threes, 
everybody said, well, this is basketball at its you know, furthest evolution. The one thing I can tell you is it's always changing. There's always something next. There's always another answer. And maybe, just maybe, these Indiana Pacers are that answer. Bo Estes, NBA.com, NBA.com's top 10. Bo, I know you touched on this a little bit earlier in the conversation, but just kind of to bring it back full circle after the NBA Cup, and let's just say for the sake of argument, the Pacers were able to capture it, and they beat the Lakers, and they hang a banner, or whatever they decide to do with it. When you look at the rest of the year, and when you look at a seven-game series, Jake put it very nicely in that you don't want to change too much because it might break what you're doing, but I, I don't know if it can last seven games. Is there one thing you could point to right now that if you just modify this, it doesn't ruin the recipe, but it might put it to a new flavor where you're able to make a deep run in the playoffs if they're able to sustain and get there? Well, I, just the the one thing that when you look at their stats and they're they're all so impressive, and then you then you look at that rebounding and you say, well, I know that in the playoffs things are going to slow down at least for one side. Maybe Indiana keeps their their foot on the gas the whole time, but on one side it's gonna it's gonna slow down. So if you could somehow find a way to get more rebounds, to get yourself, at, you know, you're the worst in the NBA basically at rebound. They're one of the worst, and you know it if you could just lift yourself up there a little bit and get critical rebounds and not give teams second chances uh, and, and maybe give yourself a few more second chances, I think that would be helpful. But again, uh, you know, it's, it's like we've been saying, there's a philosophy, there's an approach here, and you've got to decide how much you want to tinker with that. And, you know, say you go get a player at the deadline, does that mess up this whole magic recipe that you've got going right now? I don't know. You, I, I just think that's something you've got to be very, very careful with because you've caught lightning in the bottle and you don't want to take the cap off that bottle right now. Bo, I was literally, to tie in Loyola Marymount in today's NBA, which we've masterfully done, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And we might be the only two guys right now that are even aware of this Loyola Marymount fascination. But um, I had mentioned this, I think, on this show recently i was literally 49 and a half years old before i realized that in the not to bring up the negative of loyola marymount but in the hank gathers tragedy do you know who the point guard was for the team they were playing that was on the floor when that happened no who was it eric spolstra oh wow eric spolstra was the point guard for portland and i i hate to i mean this kind of a negative thing here but he was literally the guy he's the only other player in the frame of the video when you see unfortunately the tragic hank gathers video well I, is there an interview i i'm sure that he's been interviewed i, I know I, it's fascinating isn't it that i mean that's a fairly indelible moment in basketball history but at the same time i understand also the sensitivity of it you know what i mean but you would think well, right well it's interesting because like I, I used to go down to uh you know interview the heat when Dwayne Wade was a rookie and, and you know Udonis Haslam was young there and he transferred his body you know from a heavy guy at Florida to a much more athletic NBA player and Spolstra was a young guy in that organization but he was a star and you know people would point to him and say keep your eye on this guy yeah and, and- uh, it's, there's something about that guy that that is basketball magic, but it's interesting. I I had no idea about that. And, and you know, one other question, I guess, with all of that, I saw that Stephen Holder, our friend who works for ESPN and lives here in Indianapolis and is a Miami native that covered the NBA during that time, he made the comparison last night that this Halliburton kind of breakthrough reminds him 
of the epiphany the rest of the league had when they saw that Dwayne Wade was not going away and that it's a similar kind of breakthrough for both yeah. players. That's really good, actually. That's really good because, you know, if you watched Dwayne Wade in college, you thought, man, he is really good. But you never really, I guess, jumped to the conclusion he's going to be a top five NBA player when he really hits it well. Uh, and then there was just sort of a moment when he was a part of that group and there was no taking them away from that group. And I think, you know, the NBA is tight at the top right now. There are so many great players right now. You know, I mentioned the three that I think are sort of separate from everybody else. There's also Luka Doncic. You've also got older players like LeBron and Steph. But I think Halliburton has catapulted himself into that group, and it would take something remarkable to remove him. I think, I think he's not where he is. I think he's still going forward. He is Bo Estes, NBA.com's top 10. You hear him throughout the NBA season. Follow him on Twitter, NBA Bo. Bo, thanks as always for taking the time. I'm sure we'll have you on as the NBA season continues to unfold and enjoy it Saturday night. Hey, we're going to break down 87 UNLV next time, Bo. Is that cool? I can't wait. I can't wait. Let's lock it in, man. Let's lock it in, Bo. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bo. Talking about how Freddie Banks tried to bank one in in the 87 semifinals and it went in Gerald Patio. Knocking glass off the back of the backboard. Uh, Eddie White going to join us talking about something going on with the Pacers in the finals of the NBA Cup next. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Going with a little uh, John Lennon to bring in Eddie White. Is that right? Somebody just sent me uh, the the same guy on Twitter says that I don't know anything about the Pacers. The only thing that I know is, quote unquote, sitting in my lady friend's seats, which is true. They are her seats, not mine. I'm glad you know where they are. That would cause disruption with other patrons, so that's good. That is the extent of my knowledge of the Indiana Pacers. Are you surprised I know this, that he passed away 53 years ago today? Um, Now that you mention it, okay, who who was playing on Monday Night Football when it was announced to the world? Okay. I just know Cosell broke it, but I don't know who was playing. Cosell broke it because one team was lining up for a field goal, actually, that was blocked, and they went into overtime. Eddie White will absolutely know the other team. New England was one. Eddie White, who joins us now in the program. Uh, Eddie, you know the other team that was playing on that Monday night game, right? Uh, Washington? Nope. Okay, I have no idea. Miami Dolphins. You're kidding. No. I guess I, I guess I should have known that one, but I do remember watching it. I mean, Cos- I mean, do you remember when Cosell used to invite people into the booth, like when he actually had John Lennon sitting in the booth? I mean, it was, it was just the most random and I thing on Monday Night Football. And, Eddie, I believe, to be honest with you, that would be, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. that that would be why they chose Cosell amongst the group there to break the news, right? I, I mean, I would assume, because that was a fairly famous moment when he had Lennon in there, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, your your only next ch- uh, choice would have been Frank Gifford, but you know, Cosell was the obviously ex- you know more experienced. I guess it's a journalist, but obviously with the legal background, he would be the guy to break the news. And I mean, and, and he was yeah, he, he's the perfect guy to break the news like he did. But uh, that's one of those things that remember back to what we still had only what only three TV stations or something. So like the world was really paying attention, watching that football game, and uh, we all you know there was no Twitter. I know for but for you guys who didn't know who Mike Tyson was and all that stuff. Uh, there was a world before uh, Twitter, and you found out stuff like that as one on television. By the way, it was 43 years ago today, December 8th of 1980, um, when John Lennon was fatally injured. Uh, Eddie White joining us, host, of course, of the world's greatest pregame sh- or postgame show, I should say, and pregame if he was doing that. But um, pretty fun ride we're on here, Eddie. And look, I have said a million times, I'll make it a million and one, I I was a little skeptical of the in-season tournament when it was announced and was worried that it was going to be like we've seen in other sports, you know, kind of a hokey creation thing. But uh, mea culpa, man, it's been awesome. I think people are, and I hope nationwide people feel this way, but certainly people here are into it. And that's going to continue and the ride's going to continue over the, throughout the weekend, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we get into that, I, you you said something there, and I wanted to add to it. You, you are skeptical, cynical, like I am, and Mark Boyle. I, I think the three of us are the last three guys you'd want to be sitting next to, like as the Titanic was taking out of the harbor, you know? Because we're all going to be saying, hey, you know, I think this is not going to work. We're going to be doomed here. And for us, three cynical yeah. son of a guns to like, yeah, what is this? I don't know. What the heck? And then to see what it has become. Yeah, I'm like, I'm all in now. I mean, I think it's fantastic. And, you know, the last night during the World's Greatest Postgame Show, uh, we announced that there's going to be this viewing party uh, on Saturday night at, at, at GameBridge. And lo and behold, it's already, it's free, you know, free parking, free, whatever. But you had to go on and get a ticket so they know what's going on. It's gone. It's sold out. It's like, it's it's full. And um, so now they've opened up this deal called the Corona Bar Network, which sounds right up your alley. Uh, and so you go to Pacers.com slash Corona, but places like Kilroy's and Brothers and District Tap, Hill Emporium, uh, there's going to be extravaganzas going on there. So it, 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 you know what? You said something last week. We remember earlier this week. Remember, I think we beat Philadelphia or some of that. You were talking about it. We talked about the postgame show, uh, that, that home game that we had here at Boston. And it was like it brought back the memories of, of, of Byron Scott's shot and what this meant to the community and how you know we rally around our our teams and yeah basketball is different in this state and 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 that that was it was in that building i mean you were really really good i know you probably didn't think you as eloquently as you did it but you did it the way you were trying to describe what it was like being in that building when we beat boston and that's the feeling that was alive at msa and it was alive you know during those really good teams we had in early years here of gambridge then conseco and you're seeing it. I mean, and it's it's a younger generation too. I mean, I had my son is t- a bunch of UND baseball players like saying that that game the other night at home was like one of the greatest events they've ever been to. They're coming. I mean, people are rallying around the team, and it's so much fun when it's like unexpected. You know, we weren't the you know the number one team to win in the East this year. You know, we're maybe they get in the playoffs, maybe not. And then we'll see what happens. And here we are, you know, one game away from winning this inaugural deal, which has become a big deal. Now, Eddie, 
you know, I've got a little, and I appreciate the kind words there because it was awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, like three different times during that game, I just kept thinking, like, I, this is December, right? And that's the whole idea of this tournament and that Boston environment and people honking horns after the game and mayhem outside, high five, and it was great. Strangers loving strangers, right? Um, you had mentioned now. Now, tell me the Corona thing again. Uh, it's called the Corona Bar Network. They okay. go to Pacers. dot com slash Corona, and uh, and it's it's these you know Kilroy's the District Tap El Emporium. They did it the other. I guess they had them last night, and they had the on Pacers uh, social media. There were videos of fans just losing their minds uh, when Tyrese hit that three pointer to put us up eight. Um, so it shows how much I pay attention. But uh, but the Corona Bar Network will be up and running again uh, tomorrow night for those who you know didn't get a ticket an opportunity to come to uh, Gamebridge. Now, here's the party. thing. They yeah. ne- they need to get Buddy Heald to to do ads encouraging people to go to to gather for the Corona Bar Network. You know why? I'm buying in. Go ahead. Okay. Because Buddy Heald, if I'm not mistaken, is he's Haitian, correct? Is he a native of Haiti? Uh, you might be right. I know. Okay. I, 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 I thought, is it Haiti or Bahamas? Or Bahamas. Bahamas. Is it Bahamas? Okay, yeah. either yeah. one. Sorry, Bahamas. Haiti's down by the Dominican Republic. So that, the Bahamas, Bahamas works the even better, though, because Bahamas works right. even better. Because in the Caribbean, a gathering of people is known as a lime. And nothing goes better with Corona than a lime, right? So let's just go ahead and get the gathering of people known as the lime in Buddy Heald's world to the Corona Bar Network. How do you know this stuff? I mean, does, does, does Shannon, like, does she drink heavily or something when she goes out to dinner with you? Corona, I mean, typically like, with a lime, which is also a gathering of Buddy Heald's friends. I, I mean, seriously. How, wh- I mean, it's one thing to know, like, how to get from here to Attica, Indiana, which I had to do yesterday. But it's another thing to know that in the Bahamas or God knows where, a gathering is called a lime. What is the matter with you? Eddie, I don't know if you know this or not, but I've been an insomniac yeah. since 1980. Actually, 72, but, yeah, you know. so so Who's counting? <laughs> every once in a while, these things. Listen, but back, I want to go back to the point here okay. in terms of yes. the, the rise of this team, okay? Yes. These games, obviously, they're bought in. I mean, there's no doubt. And, and I love the fact that the guy that seems to be the straw mixing the drink of the buy-in is is Tyrese Halliburton. It starts there in the fact that I think he basically said, look, I I was unheralded in Wisconsin. I wasn't on a big screen at Iowa State. And, you know, I'm tired of losing, as he said. And here's the opportunity for him to finally break through. Sure, it's an in-season tournament, but he's bought in, and that has carried down throughout. Question is, is this because of this in-season tournament, or can they sustain this wave and this level and this breakthrough to carry through for the rest of the year? And I know that sounds crazy, but you get what I'm asking, right? I get what you're asking. I mean, you're obviously not saying, okay, they're, they're undefeated in this thing. Could they go on? No. Right. No, but can, can they continue to rise? Yes. I think the bonus of this, Jake, and, and you, 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 know, you do know basketball. So anybody that said you don't, they're out of their minds. Um, th- this, this in-season deal has been a tremendous help to 
our team because they are so freaking young. I mean, to see these guys, whether it's the, whether it's the red carpet that they had yesterday or just the increased media attention or to see that, yes, Stephen A. and Shaq are here. Holy mackerel, this is a big thing. Um, our guys have never been through that. You've got guys who never played in, the, in a playoff game before. So they're getting like a taste of it knowing I, I expect us to make the playoffs this year. I think you did too. You know, maybe we're, maybe we're, maybe we're in the play-in game and you win that and you get in. Maybe we're six. Who the hell knows? But the more experience you can get in dealing with these these things that come with it, the extra media attention, the extra press conferences, just the extra crapola that goes on is great. So it's great for these guys to do that. And if the, if you if you conquer it tomorrow and you win it, now you, there is a banner hanging up at, at GameBridge, and, and rightfully so. And but now you do you need to sustain it. You need to keep getting better. Number one, stay healthy. But this is just experience. And and and, and even if they would lose tomorrow, this was a phenomenal experience building piece for this team because it's so freaking young. I mean, these guys, I mean, they are so, this team could be good, could be really, really good for years and years. And maybe we end up hanging a couple other banners up there. Eddie White of Pacers Sports and Entertainment and host of the World's Greatest Postgame Show is our guest. Eddie, we asked our last guest, Bo Estes, and I asked Jake for this as well. I want to get your perspective on it. I know I'm, I don't think I'm putting the cart before the horse. I'm ready to dive in and get even more hyped about this season. If Tyrese Halliburton was to finish top two or maybe win the damn thing in terms of MVP award this year, is it the single greatest individual season in Pacers history? If he would win the MVP or finish in the top two? Yes. Well, I don't think we ever had an NBA player make name league MVP. So if he won the MVP, I'd say yes. We never had one. Because then you would assume to have to. If you're telling me the question is this, he is either the MVP or finishing the top two. That means that we certainly made the postseason, and we certainly won at least a series. Because I don't think you can be an MVP or finish top two if you didn't make the playoffs or you got beat in the uh, the play-in game. So I'm now assuming we're either in the Eastern Conference Finals or maybe one step short of that. Uh, and he had this remarkable season where he led the league in assists and yada, 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 then I would say yes. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of adding a little bit to the thing there. Is that the right answer or wrong answer? No, I, I, I think it's a fine answer. I just, I'm just i mapping that out, yes, with those presumptive things. They're a six-seed or better, and they, they're not in the play-in. They, they are maybe a step away from either a conference finals or the doorstep, yeah. You know what? I, I, I'm glad you asked the question, but what I like is something that, and, and I, I know a couple people caught it, but when he was interviewed last night after the game and they said, hey, this is unbelievable, you know, he's getting this attention, his dad, his mom, it's all this stuff. I mean, this can be suffocating to a young player, okay? He's getting all this stuff, and he's like, this is your moment. And he said, no. Yeah. No. This is our moment. That right there, that little thing told me, whoa, whoa, this kid's mature. Okay, we got a chance. Because so many young kids, athletes, their, their heads get big, and they, they become, you know, query-like, you know? That's right. And uh, this way here, this kid's mature to feet, keep the feet on the ground. And, again, this is our moment. And I think he would say, hey, I don't give a crap about the MVP. Let's, let's go win something. Let's go win the East. Let's go. First, let's make the playoffs. Let's win the East and see what the heck happens. But I tell you what, if the, if the Pacers were a stock, 
I'd buy a lot of it because I think the future for years and years to come is going to be fantastic. And I could see Jake and I just sitting there in our limes. We each have a lime. We each have a it's called limes. <laughs> That's right. We're sitting there. Yeah, we're going to have a limes. How about Jake and Eddie's lime? How well, the question that? is, are, are we members of each other's lime? That's the question, right? Only if we're in the well, Caribbean, I, would, I guess, right? I welcome you anytime. I, 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 I told you this. I, I, I have great respect for you. You're, 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 you're quirky. But you have a great heart. I'm so glad you got this gig. Uh, you have a l- lovely partner in life and who, who's lovely, who puts up with you, which I don't know why. And, uh, <laughs> no, because but, of the first you, things you, you said, said, that's why. Yeah, but yeah, the, yeah, the, these stupid, trivia, goofy things that you know would drive me nuts. I mean, really, I would have to have at least a bottle of wine and a cigar before we had dinner just to deal with your quirkiness. But I would deal with it because I enjoy your company. I believe, what? Eddie White, I could be wrong in this, mm-hmm. but I believe that if Tyrese Halliburton, for example, could become a first-team All-NBA performer during his time with the Pacers, he would not only be the first Pacer to do that, I believe he would be only the third player in NBA history to have at some point been a first-team All-NBA performer and an Indiana Pacer. Uh, I take that back. Fourth. Paul George did it. Yeah. Um, Chris Mullen did it. And George McGinnis did it. I think that's it, right? To, and I only say that, and there, if, I, if there's one I'm missing, I apologize. I only say that to point out just kind of the rarity of that event, and in particular for this franchise, and how people probably should be excited about the fact that Here's a guy that's very young, and he's locked in. And I think that's the bigger thing. He's locked in for years now. I agree. I agree. I, I agree. I, I, I love that he – that first of all, the franchise obviously traded for him. But then they saw it up to, okay, we're investing in you. He's turned around invested. I mean, there's something he's doing now, which I, it's, it's, he's doing a charity thing. Uh, he's putting together that it's just unbelievable. This kid has – he wrote the big check for that. Uh, we had the Come to Our House dinner that you did a great job serving at. Uh, he wrote the big check for that, and he's doing other things. So he's investing in the community. The Pacers invested in him. The fans love him. It, it's just – it is and you just and this is I guess is we don't get this a lot. I mean, holy smokes, we, we you know you and I we we been to, we were at MSA. We were bopping the horns. You know, we remember Byron Scott Scott hitting the shot. We, you know, some of the younger folks don't remember that. Those are glorious days. Those are memories. And this guy's helping us. Uh, speaking of memories, I just got a text from some guy. Do you remember a guy named Derek Schultz? He just sent me a text saying a lime. Does that name familiar with you? Was that the little fella? Was he the guy? Was he? Is that the Oriole mascot, Schultz, Derek? Derek is actually more familiar with, if you add to the end of that, Rick, he's more familiar with Limerick because that's actually that kind of thing, right? The leprechaun nature of it. That's right. I used to love those jingles that you guys had together. I mean, what's the pirate thing? I used to love your pirate thing. (laughs) We did have a lot of fun. We did have a lot of fun. Hey, last question for you, Eddie White. What? Um, In all honesty, Halliburton's... Again, I don't want to make too much of it here, but is this the kind of national stage breakthrough that can do what Indiana has been aspiring to get a player to do for years? And that is, can Tyrese Halliburton attract, can he make Indiana a destination location franchise for other marquee free agents in the NBA? Yes. 
And that's not me saying it as, you know, pull you the Pacers. Uh, They're on the NBA radio network last night, the serious deal, talking about just that. His exposure with USA basketball. And didn't the guy uh, guy that ran Golden State say it on the pregame show yesterday? There are good players in the league that people don't want to play with. This is a great player that people want to play with. And I think uh, Kevin Pritchard has done a pretty good job of setting us up with, uh, I guess, quote-unquote, inventory-wise to make that happen, whether it's via trade, free agency, uh, and you got to give them credit for the way they're drafting. Uh, so, yes, yes, to answer your question flat out, it is yes with an exclamation point that I think you could see a guy who, who sees what's going on, knows he has a handful of years left, wants to win maybe either another one or wants to win his first and said, hey, I'm coming to Indy. And uh, that's why I'm thinking that we could be on – we could be ready for a ride here, Jake, that, that – I mean, you and I who enjoyed those Reggie years and, you know, the years when, when Frankie Vogel was taking us to Eastern Conference Finals, uh, that we could be on a ride that uh, maybe we, we have yet to experience in our NBA years. He's Eddie White of Pacers Sports and Entertainment and, of course, the host of the World's Greatest Post Game Show, another edition of that tomorrow night. Sellout crowd at Gamebridge Fieldhouse for the championship viewing party. Eddie, give us one more time, though, Pacers.com for the Corona Bar Network. Pacers.com slash Corona. Is that Jimmy Cook? The guy who, like, Patrick Mahomes, greatest quarterback of all time, who can't score in the second half for three consecutive weeks? You guys there are out is. of your mind. He's, he's not even Fran Tarkington or Norm Sneed. Give me a break. God <laughs> I knew you'd get there eventually. Hey, it's, we got there in the end. Eddie, our old man <laughs> club meets on Sundays at noon, by the way. The what? <laughs> You bring the hearing aids, I'll bring the prune juice and the lime. Who's bringing the lime? (laughs) We are the lime. That's right. We can get Mark Boyle to bring the lime. That's right. Splash. All right, guys, I love you. All right, we'll see, Eddie. Seriously, congratulations on everything, man. Tell Shannon we said hi. I love you. Will do. We'll see. That's Eddie White. Uh, Again, big time celebration tomorrow night. We should probably talk some Colts as well, right? They got a big one coming up. Playoff hunt is still on. Huh? Playoff hunt is still on. And it's, hey, listen, they got some help last night, right? Colts got some help from the unlikeliest of sources. We'll explain. Good old Paul. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Oh, man. Paul is always in a good mood. I would think if you're a postal worker, do you think you like are the holidays a buzzkill for you? Do people still send Christmas cards though, or do they just like? I received one, so I think so. Who, who's your, the first Christmas card you received? Who's it from? Uh, one of my cousins on, or I guess my wife's cousin, right? So an in-law. Do you guys do a Christmas card? We have in the past. I don't know if we're doing one this year. Do you include the dogs? We do include the dogs. Of course, nice. you got to, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Just making sure he was doing it the right way. Um, our Christmas card is just the animals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. So you're in there then, right? So. Yeah, that's right. 
Um, Boo was photoshopped in. We couldn't get you him did. To, I asked you if you could have photoshopped him. She did. She she did one, and it's just the two. It's Kobe Joe and Boo. <laughs> Boo's just hanging out. Boo doesn't even know that he's on there with them, right? Um, but I would think. I mean, this time of year has got to be like. Can you imagine just like with the amount of stuff and deliveries and whatever else? It'd be- yeah, whether whether you're a postal worker or, and again, I, I get it, maybe the company itself is viewed in a bad light for a number of different reasons, but their workers shouldn't be because of that. If you're one of those Amazon drivers with two-day shipping and just around yeah. the holidays trying to stress by and get everything done, yeah, I imagine it's Or even there. just an Amazon employee sure, in the, sure, the warehouse. Sure, sure, the distribution center. Uh, yeah. I mentioned yeah, sure. this earlier, though, like the, the Amazon Prime thing. You know, it used to be that, like, if you had Amazon Prime, it was guaranteed, like, second-day shipping. And, like, now, I would – I'm not kidding you. And maybe it's just me. I mean, people are like, oh, this yeah. must just be you. I would say 30% of my orders, I order it, and then after the fact, I get a thing that's like, your arrival date has changed. If I buy – so like, wait I a minute, what? I don't mean to put you on the island like you said some do of it might just be you, but let's say I order 12 things off Amazon a year. I would say maybe one of the 12 is going to get hit with a, oh, your package is delayed. Which still probably is too high, but no, yeah, I, I mean I don't order a lot from there. Sure. But just for example, I, I did do uh, as I was mentioning for Firefly. They make it so easy, right? Right. Firefly for which is formerly the Children's Bureau. When you adopt a child or a family that has requested assistance for Christmas, they have it right there where you just click on the links. And you know, I ended up because I did it last week, so I got everything in time. But you know, a couple of them. It was kind of up against the deadline of when I had to actually then deliver, and it was like, whoa, wait a minute. So it did change a little bit, but I had a lot of packages. I mean, you're right. It's probably, when I say 30, maybe it is only 10 or 20%, but it it, it does seem, my point being, Jimmy, it, that wasn't the case two Correct. years ago. Correct. It's only been in the last like year or so. Yeah. That I had happened. a Jake Query moment last night, so I got home after producing the Pacers game and the World's Greatest Post Game Show, and I was watching a little bit of the Knicks-Pelicans game. All right, all right this is out of hand, so I turned on. Pelicans. Thank you. I don't know why I said next, but um, so I switch over to the Thursday night football game. I was like, okay, it's a one possession game, fourth quarter. Pittsburgh's got the ball. Let's turn it on. And it's lagging for me. And immediately in my head, I'm like, is this lagging for everyone else or is it just me? Right. It was so, definitely lagging last night for me. Yeah. So the Amazon, they, Amazon needs to kind of get that figured out, right? People are paying a lot of money to be able to watch those games. But uh, Pittsburgh got a big, I guess blow to their not playoff chances, but just their seating because now they've got to come to Indianapolis and the Patriots did the Colts a solid last night. Whoever would have guessed that New England would pick up their third win of the year and do so by beating the Pittsburgh Steelers. What's it mean just in terms of the Colts? We'll break down where they slot for the wild card and who's in and who's out for their game against Cincinnati. And we'll do it with Kevin Bowen next. Eddie Garris. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. And spinning a little Beastie Boys. A little license to ill, right? Now, the album cover of this, of course, was, in theory, an airplane. 
My buddy Chiefs fan Steve, Jimmy, your brethren within the Chiefs kingdom. Yes. Kansas City Steve, my buddy, said, Jake, my trainee Roger, and I'm asking this for Kevin Bowen, who joins us now on the program. I'm 99.999% certain I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask Kevin Bowen anyway. He says, Jake, my trainee Roger and I are both wondering, do the Colts fly or bus to Cincinnati? It is kind of odd to think of like an NFL team taking a bus down 74, but it's equally odd to think of a flight that would be like 35 minutes. Uh, Kevin Bowen, thanks for joining us from the morning show, of course, the wake-up call with Kevin and Andy. Um, Somewhat flippant, somewhat serious. Which is it? Do the Colts, they take a bus or do they fly down? They bus it. Uh, They will bus it, yeah, police escort, I assume. So, yeah, don't be on 74 tomorrow at whatever, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I I somewhat wish they, like, stopped at East Central High School for a walk. That would be great. That would be really cool. Go to Greensburg, check out the tree in in the county courthouse and the whole deal, right? And get the offensive lineman on the Honda plant. Yeah, I mean, you could, you know, you could, you could do the whole thing there. So yeah, bus it there, bus it home, and uh, I, I believe, I, I think it's one of the very few, if only, bus trips for any team in the NFL. Okay, so speaking of that, Kevin, when you talk about the offensive lineman stopping at the Honda plant, there is one of them that we now know might be able to walk through the plant but won't be walking through the game. Tell us what Shane Steichen had to say in terms of who we definitively know will not be playing on Sunday. Yeah, the two out, Johnson Taylor and Braden Smith. Uh, obviously, I think the Taylor we, we knew. He's a week and a half post-surgery with that right thumb. He was at practice again today. He was at practice the last couple of days. And then Braden Smith, you know, he exited very early in Sunday's win over Tennessee. After three snaps, he was out due to a right knee injury. So this will be game number five miss for him. You know, if you look at his career, pretty healthy outside of one other season, 2021. I think he missed five or six games. Um, He's 27 years old. I, I don't know. I just feel like the inevitable question people ask when any guy is, had injury riddled season. Hey, you know, what, what's this cap situation? What's his, what's his contract look like? I still think we're a little premature to maybe view him in the same light as like how we even viewed Shaq Leonard a month or two ago. Uh, but if they wanted to, they could get out of that contract with a minimal ish cap hit this off season. But still, I think if you're going to ask me my opinion on it, I think we're a little bit early on it. The fan zone, Kevin Bowen taking some time with us. KB, I've asked this to a couple different people on the program this week. I want to get your thoughts, but I'm going to ask it in a slightly different way. Going into the year, the expectation is it's going to be Anthony Richardson. It's going to have his cannon arm and his mobility, and we'll see what this offense looks like. That gets derailed, and now it's Gardner Minshew. But I had said, I think you had felt the same way, that Gardner Minshew is good enough to get a clear answer that you need going into this offseason, which is, what do you have at wideout? There's a deeper question here, but is that statement fair? That going in after the injury to Anthony Richardson, the thought was, well, Minshew's still good enough where you can get a better reading than last year on what you have at wideout. Would you agree with that? I would. Very low bar last year, to be fair. Correct. But yes. yes. Okay. So the reason I ask that is there's been this discussion the last couple of weeks of have we been too critical of Alec Pierce and is he actually winning his matchups, but it's either not in the scheme of the offense right now with Minshew or whether they don't trust his arm strength, whatever it is. There's multiple different variables there. So that leads into this question, which is, is Minshew good enough or has he been good enough to get a clear answer 
on Alec Pierce going into this offseason? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say clear. Um, yeah, I thought Reggie Wayne had an interesting tweet after the game Sunday night. He tweeted something to the effect of, like, you know, why wideouts just need opportunities. And, you know, I, I think in a blanket statement, that could be true for some, maybe most wideouts, but I don't think that exact answer, and I would say a little bit of a vague answer from Reggie, applies to Pierce. I think Pierce needs very specific opportunities, and those opportunities are the ones that he got. On Sunday, you know, there is a risk and there is a high-end reward when you do target Alec Pierce down the field. Obviously, the risk of it is, you know, you need your offensive line to really hold up. And when you take a seven-step drop or you want the quarterback to hold on to it for three or four seconds, you obviously are exposing him to a pass rush and potentially some big plays uh, for the defense. And when you, you know, throw it downfield, you know, obviously there's a lot of room for air there. But, again, like we saw Sunday, there's tremendous reward with it. So, you know, evaluating Josh Downs, evaluating Michael Pittman with Gardner Minshew, I think is different than if you had Alec Pierce and you, or excuse me, if you had Anthony Richardson and he was, you know, known as kind of the deep ball thrower and he could, you know, provide a little bit of a clearer picture on Pierce. So, um, again, I don't think you're going to get a clear, clear answer, but I think we will see at the end of the season just another reminder of with a deep ball throwing quarterback, which by all means that is Richardson. Granted, we didn't really see that in his small sample size this year that Pierce can give you something. Um, but I think that's just, you know, that's kind of how uh, I guess a somewhat educated opinion on it based off what Richardson is known for and what Pierce has shown even in limited opportunities down the field this year. Kevin Bowen is our guest. Of course you hear him on the mornings on this radio station, Kevin, we were talking about this yesterday. I, I want your your thought on it. Taking nothing away from the Colts because you have to win the games that are on your schedule, and a four game streak is a four game streak, right? That said, they have not played the most stout of competition in the NFL. Maybe that's helped them a little bit. But what area, if any, has the level of opponent during this streak masked? A deficiency for the Colts in other words is there something that the Colts are doing or not doing that is indeed a little bit dangerous or playing with fire but fortunately it was not such that the likes of a Tampa or New England or Tennessee was able to exploit it but a better team could yeah that's a good question um I I'd probably start here I would say just overall team competence from the opponent that might be too harsh but you know, and you know, I believe the combined records are, I think it was like 12 and 36 of the four teams you beat here in the last four weeks. Um, you know, also, if you look at it, you know, from a quarterback standpoint, you know, if, if Baker Mayfield doesn't get hurt on that opening drive, you know, does that game look a little different? You know, I, I felt, I mean, on that opening drive, that was obviously a huge play when he exited due to injury and had to settle for a field goal. And that was obviously a one-possession game at the end. Um but I would say specifically, I'll kind of combo it, you know, QB and wide out and, you know, how much has your defense, you know, really, really been tested. You know, oftentimes, I think last year was an indication of that for the Colts. I think having a competent quarterback is a big influence on how often you sack that quarterback. You know, I, I tend to think, I mean, go back to Matthew Stafford 
the Colts played the Rams earlier this year. I think the Colts hit Stafford, if I believe correctly, once in that game. And I don't think that's because the Rams have some great offensive line or Stafford is super elusive, but he just knows when to get rid of it. He knows his game, and uh, he, he knows what an opposing defense oftentimes is doing. So I think that was a big reason why the Rams had success without Cooper Cup and you know came into your building and beat you. Um, now, the good news is you aren't necessarily going to get back to that level of quarterback play. I mean, I know what Jake Browning looked like on Monday night, but you know, still, it's a very manageable quarterback slate the rest of the way. The other kind of combo off of that is, I would say, wide out and just the depth of those positions. And, and I think Sunday will be the toughest wide receiver challenge all year. How you saw it Monday night. I mean, Jamar Chase is, I mean, he's crazy. Best receivers in all of football. And then they have depth with your guy, Jake, and T. Higgins. And then I know Tyler Boyd's a little banged up on the injury report, but assuming he gives it a go, you know, he can still. Uh, you know, test whatever you do third cornerback-wise for this week. If Juju Brent's two practices is enough for him or um, if it's going to be Daryl Baker Jr. in that third corner role and then obviously Jalen Jones in front of him. So that would probably be the area, just kind of overall passing game, a little bit of quarterback, and then for Sunday specifically, again, I think the wideout challenge is immense. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him 7 to 10 a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy on these very airwaves. Of course, as the Colts beat rider, you find his work on 1075thefan.com. KB, you mentioned Juju Brents, and you had tweeted this in your long form from where Shane Steichen was in terms of his comments about availability, said Juju Brents questionable, and you had just alluded to it. Two days of practice is enough for a game day role. This is kind of twofold because if this was Joe Burrow that was under center, I would argue if he's a living body in terms of Juju Brents, it, you need him out there. But that said, Josh Browning, he's not Joe Burrow by any stretch, but he's not looked bad. He's looked competent within the weapons that are immense with the Bengals. So as you evaluate both how that cornerback has looked, how that cornerback room has looked over the last couple of weeks, even though the competition has been what it is, and then look at what's on the other side in Cincinnati. Is this a must-have for him if he's good to go and the risk of re-injury is slim regardless of the reps you would like to him have had this week? Yeah, I think if healthy, I I would want to see him playing a big role at corner. Um, Now, that's my opinion. I don't don't know. Maybe I don't even think the Colts maybe view it in that same light after two practices. I think maybe it could be Daryl Baker still in that third corner role. Um, I like what Brent showed in the small sample size earlier this year. Now, you know, maybe I'm not giving enough credit to the dude has just missed a month and a half of practice. I mean, hell, he's outside of Jelani Woods. He's the most injured player the Colts have had all season long in terms of, you know, practice time missed. I would assume Jonathan Taylor by this point of the season has probably practiced even with missing a little bit more time, you know, more than, than Juju has. So, um, I, I guess I understand where the Colts are coming from it, with that, but um, I think a lot also depends on this. I would assume, given it is Cincinnati, that you know you, they're going to be in a three-wide receiver set a whole lot because that's the strength of their football team. So that means you're going to be in a three-cornerback set a whole lot. I, I don't know how like rotational Gus Bradley views that spot. I, I can't recall many times in the last two years Gus Bradley has rotated corners within a game. You know, he rotated safeties last week, for example, with Nick Cross and Rodney Thomas. I don't think he feels the same way about corner. Um, so I, I think that'll be something also to watch. But, you know, go back to the New Orleans game. And I know that was Tony Brown. 
in the game at that point. But New Orleans, you know, they went deep into their wideout group and they burnt the Colts and it was costly. And if you go back to the Jacksonville meetings, they went deep into their wideout group and it was costly. So that is of concern to me. And if Mother Nature continues to improve, it looks like maybe the precipitation for Sunday is going to be a little bit less than it was once thought it would be earlier in the week. You would think that would favor Jake Browning and trying to test the depth of the Colts cornerback room. Kevin, everything seems to be falling into place this year for the Colts, which is weird to say because of the injuries, the Jonathan Taylor situation, the Anthony Richardson situation. But in terms of externally, it's not, you know, we've seen years in this in the past where all of a sudden each week, that week's opponent, like the starting quarterback gets hurt, you're going against a backup, you know, other teams can't get out of their own way. I mean, now you have a situation, Cincinnati on Sunday, then Pittsburgh. These are teams that the Colts themselves can land the knockout blow. And it's great. And they've taken advantage of that. And and it's wonderful. And they're right in the thick of things. My concern would be this. Is there any chance that everything falling into place for the Colts this year kind of creates a false narrative for them next year when things ramp up a little bit and actually makes it even more difficult for Anthony Richardson? Or is that me being way too pessimistic? No, I, I, I don't think so. Um, I think there are certainly elements of reality in that statement. Um, yeah, I mean, the Colts have had a super manageable schedule. Um, you know, they played the NFC South as the opposite NFC division this year. I believe next year, I want to say it's the NFC North, which, you know, offers certainly a little bit more competence in the NFC South. And a bye week when you got to play Chicago, so that's cool. <laughs> and then AFC wise, you know, next year is the AFC East. I, I think just strictly from a quarterback standpoint, you know, a healthy Josh Allen and a healthy Tua uh, coming into your building that, that that looks a whole lot different than the quarterbacks you faced in your building this season. Um, you know, assuming you finish, I mean, last year they finished last in the division, so uh, you know, you would probably be, or I don't know, maybe I guess technically Houston was last. You know, all likelihood you're going to finish higher in your division, so. The crossover games will be a little bit more difficult. Um, and then I would just assume, you know, quarterback-wise, and obviously the Colts fall into this boat too, but, you know, you would think, you know, it's just a little bit of a healthier bill for the opposing quarterbacks that you're going to face based off what you've had this year. Um, it's wild that the schedule's unfolded in that, you know, early in the year, if you just label it as healthy starting quarterbacks and, and maybe non-rookie throw in that as well, they faced a lot of those early in the year. You, you had Trevor Lawrence twice. You had Matthew Stafford. You had Lamar Jackson. You had Derek Carr. If you look at the back half of the season, there probably will not be a single quarterback that qualifies as a non-rookie, healthy starter that you face. Whether you go back to the Cleveland games and all the issues they had at quarterback within that game. You know, again, I, Baker to me was was banged up in that matchup. And then just look at the rest of them, whether it's Jake Browning this week or, you know, Mitchell Trubisky next week or, you know, Desmond Ritter. I, I guess he maybe qualifies as a starter. I mean, even C.J. Stroud is is a rookie. Granted, he's not playing like that. So, yeah, I think it's fine to say, you know, the Colts have gotten the benefit of the doubt with their schedule, and that probably is not going to happen next year. Um, yeah, I, I think that's totally fine to say. But, you know, at the same time, look at Pittsburgh East for the last two weeks. They've had, you know, sitting there on the golden platter, Arizona at home and New England at home, and they haven't taken care of either of them. So, uh, you know, part of it is just because it's an on-paper opportunity doesn't mean it's a guarantee to be a win. Fan zone Kevin Bowen with us. KB, when you look at the Bengals, what 
scare maybe none of it does, but let's say one does. What scares you most? Their weapons at wide receiver or Joe Mixon? And how much of that answer is influenced by the return of Grover Stewart? You know, Mixon had his best game from scrimmage on Monday. Uh, um, you know, they haven't ran it well, Cincinnati. But, you know, Mixon just is always struggling as a dude that I, I, I just have a little fear in, in, in watching him. I, I think he's a pretty dynamic player. Um, so I do think the, the return of Stewart is huge. And um, I'd probably put it more into this, Jimmy, and I've kind of been talking about this on the morning show this week. Of, I think it's a week where you want to commit. You know, last week I would not have said this last Friday. Last week it was commit more bodies to the run game. This week, to me, it's commit more bodies to the pass game. And so, you know, having Grover Stewart, that I would think would make Gus Bradley sleep a little better at night saying, okay, I don't need to kind of, you know, say, hey, you know, Nick Cross, cheat up, or Julian Blackman at safety, cheat into the box, or Rodney Thomas, we need you to play a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. You know, theoretically, with Grover Stewart, you, you, you shouldn't need to do that. And therefore, you could have more guys in coverage. So, you know, it's not that Cincinnati is some vaunted rushing attack. It's not that they rank top five, top ten in rushing offense. Um, it's more that, hey, you need as many bodies to the secondary because if you're going to double Jamar Chase, I mean, that still is leaving you know, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd in some one-on-one matchups. I actually thought their tight ends did a nice job on Monday, even though they aren't really household names. Um, so, yeah, I look at the return of Stewart not because it's a Derrick Henry-type matchup, more because you want – you know, more bodies committed to what you're trying to do in coverage. Kevin, did you guys really revisit the mayonnaise coffee deal last week? We did. Um, I thought you would just be a team player and just organically do that yourself. Um, <laughs> no, okay. so I was There's a little a, Listen, mayonnaise and organic don't go in together in any way, shape, or form. Come on. Was it yeah, as bad the second time around? Boy, it's just one of those things when it starts to get chunky, Jake. Um <laughs> It, it really. Oh wait, hold on a second. You didn't. Quickly. You didn't just talk about it. You actually consumed it again. Oh yeah. Oh well, man. Thanks guys for listening to the morning. Yeah, it shows where I was. I apologize. Well, That's all I me. knew about it. I didn't know about yeah. it. I don't know I'll what Jimmy's talking about. I knew about it. I didn't know about it. Hell, I'm the first one in here every day. It's true. Whoa. Yeah, Whoa. Right. The uh, the new studio there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it curdled quick. It got chunky quick. Andy, I think, had a bit of a uh, – he calls himself the gas bag. I thought we might need a gas mask to kind of get through the rest of the show after it. But he hung in there, um, and, yeah, and we did it. And, honestly, Jake, in a game that was decided by ebbs and flows and missed extra points and everything, I'd like to think that we did our part in, uh, you know, maybe pushing the Colts over the edge. The you drink know? that answers the question of what would happen if you wanted an Irish car bomb for breakfast but without the alcohol. Uh, it is uh, – Listen, it was oh, horrific. Hundred times worse than an Irish. No, I know, yeah, but the way bad. the way you have to drink it quick because it's going to curdle, right? Now, like the that, better, that element's there, Kevin. The better question yeah. is this: When you and I did it on the morning show, when it was hot, and for those that are unfamiliar, I, I think most know. But Will Levis of the Titans, you know, there was the whole reputation that he put mayonnaise in his coffee. It kind of became a gag. So, in speaking, gag is the key word here. When when there was the possibility that Levis was in discussion. One of the names out there for the Colts in the draft, we did the the mayonnaise in the coffee on the morning show. And Mark Dykton brought in a tub of mayonnaise that he had bought at Costco that was enough actually to feed uh, the entire like Decatur Township. And, and, and it expired in a month. Now, did you use that same tub or did you go out and get another fresher variation of this gelatinous hell? 
Yeah, no, Andy actually went out and did his part and uh, and got a tub. And, and the plop, it didn't have the same kind of acoustic, you know, uh, beautiful sound that probably re- reminiscent of that sphere in Vegas like it did for us, you know, back in April. Um, and I just still am dumbfounded by the story. I mean, again, Will Levis claims that he had his girlfriend or I don't know. I, I don't even know if that's the proper label. He had a girl over to his you know, a Kentucky apartment, house, whatever, and that they woke up and the next morning they couldn't have, there was no coffee creamer in said building, so they decided to go with mayo. And, I, you know, I did a lot of desperate things to try to attract the opposite sex. I, I, I Back in college, I, I cannot ever imagine thinking that mayo in a coffee is something that could lead to that woman then going home and telling her friends about it and her friends saying, you should give this man another chance. Ha! Yeah, you're right about that. You are right I mean, about that. The, I mean, I guess I guess just watch him play football, and you probably get an indication of that. You know what? I actually thought Kevin Levis is a polarizing player. I only say this because he's in the AFC South, so the Colts theoretically could see him for a long time. I, I thought late in that game, for a young player that is still within the first handful of, of starts in the NFL – I don't know that Levis blew me away per se, but he didn't look like a guy that felt like the moment was too big for him. Like he looked like he is a guy that can grow into being a guy that is going to hand the get the reins handed over to him from Tennessee. But your thoughts? Yeah, I mean he got very very little help from his offensive line. You know, it's a very nondescript pass catching group outside of Hopkins. I mean, there are a few plays, maybe I'm being overly critical there late, that I thought, man, he's really holding on to it. You know, could he have gotten rid of it? Could he survive, you know, to live maybe another down and not be kind of as, hey, I'm going to try and play a little hero ball. Um, Now, I I think people could look at it the other way and say, he's tough as hell. And, I mean, you you watch him helicopter on that first third down, and then you watch Gardner Minshew slide out of bounds sort of the sticks, and those are two levels of, you know, kind of putting it on the line there. So, yeah, I mean, Levis had some moments, certainly Sunday that were nice, but I also thought he had some big-time rookie moments. And, again, credit the Colts for, I, I thought, putting them in those rookie moments. There's been times where the Colts have played mediocre to, you know, whatever, rookie QBs, and they haven't. I think kind of dictated to them. You know, I thought they did that to Bryce Young a month ago, and I thought they did that to Levis for the most part on Sunday as well. Is the division realistically – at play in your mind? I know it's all going to depend on Trevor Lawrence's health and they need the Jaguars to stumble once more, but is that a possibility you've allowed yourself to think is real? I probably haven't gone all the way there just yet. I mean, I've mentioned it. You know, it's, I mean, the door's cracked. I don't think it's very much. And, you know, part of it is, didn't Lawrence practice all week? I mean, it, yeah. it seems like his absence will not be long, if at all. Um, and if you look at their hey. schedule, I mean, yes, it, it's Cleveland and Baltimore. But then after that, I want to say it's pretty manageable the final three weeks. And they have the tiebreaker over Indy right. and Houston if all three of them would be tied. I think that. Christian Kirk is the bigger loss for them, Kevin. I, I, well, let me phrase that. Obviously, Lawrence would be. But the the joy, if you're a Jags fan, of Trevor Lawrence's injury not looking season-ending was quickly offset by the fact that Christian Kirk's injury does appear to be, if not season-ending, deep into playoff level, and I think that's a major loss for them. Yeah, no, that is definitely a good point to bring up. Yeah, I mean, that is a big deal. Um, now, again, I, I do think there's depth in that wideout core, obviously. I don't want to act like Christian Kirk. You know, is you know certainly he's better than other guys in that room. I thought the uh, – I'm forgetting his name. Washington, I think it was his last name. 
who kind of filled in for Kirk. I actually thought he made a couple nice plays on Monday night. But, yeah, I mean, Kirk is a big loss. And, obviously, if it is D.J. Beathard, you know, for a week or two, you're going to have to, um, you know, certainly pepper Calvin Ridley and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram and some of those other guys there. But I think it's just a hair greedy, I guess, for me to go down that divisional path just yet. Of course, you know, one win on Sunday by the Colts and one loss by the Jags, and all of a sudden, I want to say Jacksonville is Baltimore next week. And if they lose to Baltimore and the Colts beat the Steelers, boom, the Colts are in first place in the South. So, uh, you know, it could very quickly change, but I don't know. I, I guess I'm just not ready to fully go there just yet. Kevin, Kevin Bowen, by the way, is our guest. Um, the last question I was going to ask when you look, you know, Jacksonville's kind of up and out, you know, Buffalo, obviously, who knows what's going on there over the course of the season. Your opinion, best team in the AFC is who? Um, that's a good one. I, boy, part of me thinks Mahomes in this offense is going to get it together at some point. Part of me doesn't even want to say that with Jimmy on the other line. I kind of like Miami. Uh, I know they haven't really beaten anybody, but I still think they're just so potent. And I think Jalen Ramsey helps them out. And, um, oh boy, that's good. I, I don't know. Is it Baltimore? I He's obviously very up in the air, considering how wishy-washy I am. Uh, I will say Miami will represent the AFC in the Super Bowl, if you're asking me today on December or whatever it is. I don't know why it is, but Baltimore to me is interesting because even over the last 20 years, 25 years, whatever, every time that Baltimore has had an elite-level team, there's just something about the brand of and the style of play that they use to get there where it never jumps into my forefront as the bet, like a candidate as quote the best team in the AFC. Does that make sense? Yeah, and obviously those Baltimore teams, Jake, are just a little different than you know what Lamar gives them. Um, so I do think, and they have made some you know acquisitions to their past. I'm trying to forget. Is Mark Andrews done for the year? Was that? Yeah, you know that was a big loss for them. So. I do think that can be taken into consideration. You know, it, it's weird. I do feel like there are kind of three or four teams on tier one of the AFC, but then when you talk about them, I think it's hard to kind of decide who is that team. Um, and obviously, just look at the standings right now. I mean, the number one seed is still – I'm pretty sure if Jacksonville would have won Monday night, which they easily could have, they would still be the one seed in the AFC. And Jimmy – and totally understandably, this is no shot at Jimmy. Jimmy's asked me a question, if Jacksonville can win the division. Like, I mean, that's how close – all of these teams are, even though I do feel like if you are going to have quality of play over the course of the season, I do think the four division leaders right now, you know, Kansas City, Jacksonville, Baltimore, Miami, I do think they are on a tier. Cav, do the Pacers win tomorrow night? Uh, why? Yeah, sure. Why? I mean, hell, they've been underdogs in all these other games. Why not? I, I don't love the fact that the Lakers just – I mean, LeBron played 22 minutes last night. I mean – that's that's nothing. I mean, LeBron's probably played 22 minutes and, you know, how many playoff halves in his career, just a half of a game. So, um, yeah, I will say, sure, why not? Pacers haven't shot it well the last couple of nights. I think they're due to shoot it well. But I don't – if you are looking at it from a Pacers standpoint, I don't love that fact that, you know, again, LeBron did not play. And it's not like Anthony Davis did a whole lot. I mean, again, they didn't really need any of their guys to play. New Orleans um, missed their flight. I mean, what do you, what do you want to do? You know, Pelicans missed their flight. Pelicans missed their flight. I mean, that's the, that's what it was. It was a glorified open practice for the Lakers last night. God, that was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, and LeBron had 30 and 22 minutes. I mean, that was vintage 
And I assume it'll be Obi topping on him. But, yeah, I'll say the Pacers. I mean, that's another thing about exiting last night. They're like, the Pacers won by nine, and they were seven of 30-something from three. It's so not like if the Pacers win the – Kevin, if the Pacers win the in-season tournament, <clears throat> even though he's dipped a little bit, you're still building the Ben Matherin statue, right? Well, the Halliburton statue is going to have to look a lot, lot bigger. <laughs> yeah, that's going to have to be a father uh-huh. and son statue just, outside of uh, Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Just wipe one of the zeros off the, the statue that you've already made, right? <laughs> yeah, hopefully some weather could impact that and everybody will think it's the Halliburton one. He's Kevin Bowen. You hear him 7 to 10 a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Follow his Colts coverage as well throughout the rest of the season, but with a big one against Cincinnati this weekend. KB, enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Have a great weekend. Kevin Bowen on the guest line. And, again, Colts and Bengals coming up in Cincinnati. You guys got to do your picks later on, Jimmy, including your plays of the day. You said yesterday one of your plays of the day, and I thought it actually kind of tipped. And, um, you know, you actually yesterday, if you'd have met Robin the Genie, you might have made a lot of money. I might be able to get some sharks after Robin the Genie. I, will, I have met him yesterday. I will let you know what I'm talking about where Robin the Genie might be writing you a check. We'll do it on the other side. So yesterday... Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. When you were doing your picks for the day, Jimmy. Yes, sir. I believe, actually, I'm the one that would have won the money from Jeannie. Correct. From Robin you, Correct. Yes, I know what bet you're talking about. But Which yes, one? I believe you're talking about what would happen for Damian Lillard and if he was to go over a point total that I gave out, okay. it would likely be a Pacers loss. And you, you had the, the point over under for Damian Lillard 27 was? and a half. And you predicted... I thought he would go over. I thought he'd have a really good game. I thought they'd still win, now, but I thought he'd have a good game. I believe we have Robin the Genie here, our friend. That is correct. Unfortunately, Jimmy, he did not go over. <laughs> Damian Lillard had 24 points in the game. He did. Including like 18 in the third. But you're astute, more... Wise and mature co-host, Mr. Query, had said that if Damian Lillard does not go over, there is no chance Milwaukee could win the game. You know, those are brash words there for a genie that hasn't paid me for my last prediction. So, I, as Robin the genie, decided that I will pay when it is convenient for me. <laughs> and your streak has come to an end. It has indeed. So, yes, indeed, 24 for Damian Lillard. As a result, Pacers able to – that's not the reason why they won. There were a lot of reasons why they won. Um, One of the guys that fascinates me, himself kind of like a genie because you just never know where he's going to pop up. You see him on Twitter. He goes by Naptown Seth, and he's usually like sitting right behind the bench or in some great seats, but he is out in Vegas and I think hungover. 
and we got him on the phone. Seth, what's up? I am, in fact, hungover. Uh, understandable, right, I guess, but uh, which was a, what an amazing night, right? Okay, well, here's game. the question. Would you be hungover if they'd lost? Uh, <laughs> probably because I'm traveling with my buddy Francisco. He goes a lot of games with me, and that's usually a bad combo no matter what, but it probably made it worse. Did you guys finish at a table, or do you not partake? I do, but we didn't. I cannot disclose any persons I saw at tables that were not me, but we did see <laughs> people that some of you people might know at tables later that night. Um, I think they would not like me to tell you about that, but we did not. The only gambling I did was I bet, I think I posted this, I bet on the bucks for good luck for us. And I so, like it. I like guys, it. The emotional hedge. That's good. That's good. <laughs> you're welcome. And I, and I tell you what, it was very debated <laughs> in the casino for about 20 minutes back and forth before I finally went that way. So you're betting on the Lakers tomorrow night. I'm looking at my finances. I don't know if I can afford to pay for a win, but yes, strategically, if I do bet, it would be on the Lakers. Okay, Seth, I'm curious of this. You know, Vegas is an electric city with a gabillion things going on. In the city itself, was there, like when you were out last night, was there, would you know if you weren't there for it that this tournament semifinal and Saturday night finals was going on. Has this created buzz in Vegas or is it just another in a million things in what is America's great entertainment playground? Yeah, that's a good question. It's hard to tell because we're down at Mandalay. So for people who don't know, it's more proximity towards T-Mobile, right? And you can go all the way down like the Caesars. And I don't know what people down at Caesars are there. We haven't even been to the sphere yet. We want to go look at it. We just haven't had a chance. So were they down there talking about it? I don't know. But certainly down here, you go out. There's Bucks shirts. There's so many Pacer fans right in a lot everywhere. Just everywhere. It was crazy. So it felt like there's a lot of people. But, you know, we also saw a lot of cowboy hats because the rodeo's here, too. So you don't really know if it impacts this place because it is it takes a lot like you get. Right. It's <laughs> a lot of things to do here. So but by the arena, you guys will get this. You know, we hosted the Super Bowl. You remember that in the Pan Am Plaza area? That's what it was like outside the arena last night. It felt like, you know, the NBA finals. It was very, very crazy. Did um did you see any NBA players in the casino? I as I alluded to earlier, I cannot uh, <laughs> say that I did, but I will tell you that I definitely did see a few. One for sure that we would all know, but they and that they were not doing anything excessive. It was very normal, but that was it. And I think they would like that to be kept on the town. Hey, what happens in Vegas, baby? That's gotta, right. Gotta of keep course, right? For sure. Uh, okay, Seth. So, what is the game plan then? In terms of you know what you're doing, are you staying for the game tomorrow night, or do you got to come back? We we made the foolish credit card purchase last night. I mean, how, how once you're already here. Although you know what's funny, we, there was a fan that joined us yesterday. He flew out because they had a leftover ticket, and he flew back last night. So there's we talked to some fans that did just go for that first game, but I think we were like, how can how can you not? Even though it's going to be miserable with all the Laker fans here, because this is a Lakers town. Vegas is. Yeah, you can drive there. So right, you can drive in well, five. Yeah. Four and a half hours, yeah. Yeah. So they're all over the place. They were in our game. They were at the Pacer game. And in fact, we ran into four guys. They bought that game, and we're going to try to hide in the bathroom to sneak into the Lakers game because they couldn't afford it. You know what? I, so you have to leave the arena and then come back in, right? I mean, it's two different tickets, right? Right. right. Okay, we're, now. What a mess. It's like staples. Here's right? my last question. In the NCAA tournament, a lot of times, if you go to a venue, and you know, a lot of times – there's good-natured ribbing amongst the fan bases, but at the same time, everybody's there to kind of enjoy the same single buzz, right? So 
was there like the Bucks fans or the Laker fans that are there or if there were Pelican fans as well? Was it heated at all or is everybody like, you know what, let's let's poke fun at each other, but we're all just here to have a good time? Yeah, we didn't it, – it wasn't – I mean, listen, I was just that Philly game a couple weeks ago, right? That was heated. That was miserable. <laughs> it was not like that. No, this is um, – I, you know, went and did the NBA draft a couple years ago to Pacers. I won the contest with it for signing up and got to do that. And that was very much like an NBA convention. And we came out for Summer League this year, my wife and I, and it was like an NBA convention. It is more like that, where it's like, we're all here. We love basketball. Isn't this great? Lakers fans are going to be how they're going to be. Did not see a single Pelican fan, to be honest with you. <laughs> Which, and uh, so, yeah, no, it wasn't fighting. Like, nobody in the stands was yelling it back and forth. We were doing as much good-natured trash talk as we could because we were behind the Bucks bench. Listen, but Naptown said Taylor Swift was was person of the year. You're the man of the year, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> because you fly around to, to Pacer games all the time. You sit in good seats. You go to your buddy. You get hung over in Vegas. You sit at the tables, and yet you still have a wife. That's unbelievable, <laughs> man. She's a trooper. <laughs> I mean, that's right there. Those are the, the odds right there are stacked against you, but... but um, She's hey. learned to love it, too. It's funny. She, she's right there with me now. I think she's starting to get as much into it as I am. Well, Seth, enjoy it. Pace yourself, all right? It's the, it's the Pacers, <laughs> yeah. so pace yourself and put money on the Lakers and then help bring home a victory for the Pacers in the in-season tournament. How's that? <laughs> Definitely going to do it. So all right. Get this win. By the way, put some money on 31. I'm telling you, even though it's now oh. Halliburton's team, you go to the roulette table, 31 hits yes. every time, I'm telling you. Oh, my God, yes. Okay, definitely. All right, there you go. Naptown Seth, appreciate it. Um, man, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Just to go out there and hang out and have fun. It'd be great. That's what we were talking about earlier in the week. This is what the NBA wants this thing to be, where it's like if you're an NFL fan and you see that your team's going to Las Vegas to play the Raiders, and it's like, okay, I know about this weeks in advance, months in advance in some cases. I want to go plan a trip and have that Vegas trip we've always been talking about and go see our team play. What the league wants to have happen and why I think – Maybe this gets modified more like the Champions League where the final or the semifinals are moved like maybe a month or two later into the year. You give fans more time to plan, and it becomes a destination city. That's what Summer League does. That's why the league wants a franchise in Vegas someday. Real quick, I want to squeeze in John before uh, we come back with your picks. John, what's up? That's why the league wants a franchise in Vegas someday. Turn your radio down, John. What's up? Hey, Jake, I've heard you talk about uh, Taylor University quite a bit. Um and you're familiar with the Silent Night, right? Oh, of course. Hey, tonight at Whiteland uh, High School, they're going to try to recreate that. Really? Wait. Yeah. That's cool. Who's Whiteland stuff. playing? Uh, Perry Meridian. So is Perry Meridian on board with this? I guess so. I haven't heard the details about it. So they might they might create some noise, but I, I don't think the Whiteland fans are at all. Okay, so here's what happens. Uh, and that's cool, man. I appreciate it. Silent Night at Taylor University, yep. one of the great traditions in basketball. they got a great basketball camp for kids. Taylor University does. Silent Night, everybody is absolutely stoically silent. Kids usually dress in pajamas and fun winter gear as if it's Christmas Eve. Um, and everybody is totally stoically silent in the arena. The only thing you hear is the squeak of the shoes and the whistle and the bounce of the ball until I think it's the 10th point. As soon as Taylor scores their 10th point, absolutely total chaos, mayhem, rush the floor, and everybody goes bonkers, and the visiting team just kind of steps aside and lets it all happen. So happening tonight at Whiteland, hopefully Perry Meridian is on board with it so that everybody can, in unison, have fun with it. Very cool. We'll come back. Jimmy's Picks next. 
The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, extended edition going into the weekend. We start first on Saturday, the 124th edition of the Army-Navy game. I will take the midshipmen plus three they Hell are yes. getting. Go Navy, beat Army. Army. I went to a Navy game this year, so I'm all in, buddy. Love it. Love it. Pacers, Lakers, Tyrese Halliburton over 40 and a half combined points and assists. Buddy Heald over two and a half three-pointers made. Lakers are one in six this season when giving up 120 or more. It's one in seven on Saturday. Give me the Pacers on the money line to capture the NBA Cup. In the NFL, Chiefs over the Bills. Dallas always loses this game. I don't care what's going on in Philadelphia. Dallas always loses this game since I've been alive. Give me the Eagles on the money line at plus 150 on the road in Dallas. I'll also take the Colts at plus 110 on the money line over the Bengals. Eddie, do you have anything? I do. Give me the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys against the Eagles. Wow. Teams have struggled All coming right. off of games against San Francisco. I think they've been reeling Philly. They've gotten away with a couple of wins. I will take the Cowboys, who play significantly better at home than they do on the America's road. America's team never wins this game. I hope you're right, but they uh, never win it. NBA action tonight. I've got four plays. Spencer Dinwiddie under 27.5 points, rebounds, and assists. Jalen Brunson under 25.5 points. Julius Randle over 21.5. And Clay Thompson over 16 and a half points. I'm not saying you guys are degenerates by any stretch, but the level of enthusiasm out of both your voices in the last five minutes of this show is incredible. <laughs> is it because of that or because you know that you're getting away from me? No, it's not that, Jimmy. It's about making money. It's never that. We're a team here. We would not throw the chairman under <laughs> the board. We're a company is what we are, Jimmy. We're the bus. We We're a company, company right? We are We're a, a lime. That's what we are. We are a lime, yes. Did you did you guys know that fun fact earlier today, or were you mesmerized by that? I had heard it in the past, but it doesn't mean I wasn't equally mesmerized today. I've heard it with your voice before, so did not surprise me. Well, thank you. Are, Much appreciated. Are we giving... Pacers and Colts predictions or just Colts predictions? Uh, I will go with, I'll start out with the Colts predictions. Uh, Part of it, I I don't know, I'm a little bit worried about the specialty players for Cincinnati, and I know it's a big one for Indianapolis, even though they got some help last night from New England beating Pittsburgh. Um, But I'm going to say 26-24 Cincinnati wins, and I only say that because it's in Cincinnati. I'm going to go Colts 26-24. I get it. There's this cautious optimism about the Bengals with Jake Browning kind of leveling and riding the ship, but I think this is the game where Cincinnati starts to fade. The Colts are in ascending stock with their schedule the rest of the way. Colts get it done 26-24. I have the Colts 24-20. I think they'll be able to neutralize Joe Mixon, and I believe the Jake Browning game Monday night was a fluke. That's probably – I mean, there's probably some truth to that, right? That's spare tire, Jake. When when quarterbacks come out there, that you you never know – um, whether or not defenses just don't know them and that's why they're comfortable and then all of a sudden tape's out there and so people get a little bit more familiar. Uh, Eddie, I'm again confused by by this big manual clock up there. So that's a minute 20 or 20? A minute 18, 17, okay. so 16, see, I, now, now, 15. We have a manual old school clock up here. 
but I can't tell if like it's closing in on 56 now. Jimmy, are you with me here on this fact that, that that's the one time where it becomes more difficult to tell? Yes, I am. Our Oppenheimer clock was doing a good job. I, I know I how agree. to tell yep. time. Yep. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm an avid watch collector, as you know, right? Yes, I am more of that. watch collector. Your weekend plans are what, Jimmy Cook? Uh, I'm out next week. I'm sure it'll be some weird scheme that's brought up, but uh, I'm going to London for a couple days. My wife has a work trip, never been there before. So uh, that's the weekend plan. We leave Sunday. I'll be part of the Pacers uh, action watching that and hoping they pull when, when out the NBA do you fly Cup. out? Uh, like 7 o'clock on Sunday. In the morning or the evening? Evening. Yeah, and then, so you do the whole, well, you know the trick, Correct, right? yep, exactly. Uh, okay, so I don't need to bring you anything back from Milwaukee. Eddie, what would you like from Milwaukee? Oh, spotted cow, if possible. You want some spotted cow? I do like the, some the spotted cow. The actual cow or the beer? Yes, both. Okay. Surprises which, which from one, London, though? by the which, way. I don't know do you, what? Want, you just want spotted cow? Yeah. Okay, that's easy. That's just a cream ale. That's easy. 20% chance you guys get an English telephone booth, but we'll, we'll see what I can scrum up with awesome. after there. So. That'd be absolutely awesome. And then you got to ride in one of the cat, one of the little, like, You'll know the little the, yeah. the, the fancy schmancy cabs like a Beatles album. Sure. Yep. JMB's up next. Aaron Smith, Aaron Neesmith with him in 25 minutes. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.